Hello and welcome to Girls Gone Canon. Reads a Song of Ice and Fire, episode 155, A Storm of Swords, Sam 5, featuring James. I'm one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. And this week we are joined by another, other one of your hosts. You might know James from the Hype Swatch, Hype Swatch fame over on YouTube. And we had a great conversation about how we're, you know, our past as Stannis fans. For some people, they've left that dark, dark, horrible world, but some people have just mellowed on it. But James is a part of the Hype Swatch. And I know Eliana used to hang out with the Hype Swatch and chat with them on ASWAF here and there. I only got to hang out with you guys once for an Ice and Fire Con YouTube stream. Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's been a while, but I'm very happy to be here and uh, talking about this wonderful chapter. And uh, you, never, you never know, hopefully, uh, maybe one day the, the Hype's Watch will be back again, ready to roll when T-Wow comes out. But yes, I'm... I'm oh my god, yes. Very... Yeah, we dragged James out of hiatus. <laughs> I have, uh, it's been the long night over here in, in Kansas, and I've just been uh, sitting back and living my life. You guys, you know, like the old, the, the Godfather 3 thing, you, you know, just when I thought I was out, you pulled me back in. <laughs> and, uh... and uh, you know, it was, it's actually been pretty fun going back and reliving it and uh, going back through... I read all of Sam's chapters, love that guy. Aww. It was good to, to relive that and sort of, you know, I was even finding myself, not even when I was, you know, I'd get done with a Sam chapter, I'd read some of the chapters around it, kind of re-sparked, rekindled my love. Oh no. Oh yeah. no. I thought you were going to say it was kind of nice, not thinking about a song of ice and fire at all. It was, it was, uh, but you know, sometimes you just get pulled back. That's true. That's true. Uh, I was he doesn't sharing... die at the end of this job, you know? Oh my god. <laughs> That's the okay. trope. That's, we, weren't, we aren't going to let that happen. Listen, Kay, Kay, I need you to just turn away, go back to the house, go back to the kids, Eliana. No, I'm just kidding. I'm glad to have you on because you're a huge Sam fan. You know, we really wanted to get the Sam fans on for this POV because I know they exist. And... I don't know what what are your favorite things about Sam's POV since you just reread his chapters. Well, one thing I'm a big fan of in the series in general is character growth. I think mm. some of the characters we see it most with is Sansa or Sansa and Sam. And you know, I just think people who would have a certain perspective on these characters when they first read those books, the people that read them pre-show, you would have a vastly different experience in the next book and in the next book and the next book. So, me personally, I just love the growth of Sam that he goes through uh, and finding what he had in him all along, which we'll see in, in this chapter and that we saw in some of his previous chapters in this in this particular book. You would probably have a specific mindset when it came to Sam or uh, Sansa at the end of those books, but you got to give him a chance. You got to let him, you let it grow and you just end up with great characters. Absolutely. Well said. And Speaking of character growth, you know, Chloe, you hinted at this at the beginning of the episode. Can you both talk to talk to me about your um, come to Jesus moments about Stannis? Very different moments, I think. (laughs) Very different moments for both of us. And they're pivotal moments in every A Song of Ice and Fire fans growth themselves. Right. Everybody has a pivotal moment on Stannis, whether it turns you to the flames or against the flames. I don't know. What do you think? I guess, guess yeah, James has it. always had like a more measured, but 
Yeah, James, you're very measured. You you take the good and the bad, the rot with the onion, so to speak. Stannis is obviously a very complicated character, and I definitely don't subscribe to the thought that he is all that is pure and good. I don't know if those thoughts still resonate in the fandom. I remember, you know, there was people that thought Stannis was Azor High, and I'm just like, no, he's not. That doesn't even make any narrative sense in the framework of the story like <laughs> and people think that he is infallible which he is not he's done many bad things but yeah but at the same time if you think about his his history the growing up as the introverted middle brother that was sandwiched between the perfect robert well in his his mind perfect robert and the charismatic renly and sort of the stuff that happened in his past seeing his parents die etc what happened in his wedding bed etc and the things i like about him is he does have a semblance of honor which we'll talk about in this in this chapter he doesn't like he's not a politician in the king's landing hmm. sense and i like the way that he speaks to people i don't like the the stuff he says to people he's an insufferable <laughs> prick excuse my language necessarily <laughs> if you were on the receiving end you'd be like what the yeah fuck? i don't I, it's just, to me, it's funny. His, yeah, yeah. his acerbic nature, the way he speaks to people, it's like, I wouldn't want to, I don't like you in, like, I wouldn't like you in real life, but I just find that the crap you say is pretty funny, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's fucking hysterical. Like, I think he's one of the funniest characters accidentally the entire time, right? Just accidentally hysterical, and I, I love the tension in a room that's leveraged with him, whether he's being mean or being funny on accident. It's usually very similar. I uh I used to love him. I used to be one of those people that was like, yeah, Stannis, one true king, bro. You know, like R'hllor. Uh, I used to be all about that, but it, it all changed in John. John chapters, it it truly changed for me. I think that like just watching his the way he operates and and the way he measures people as numbers. But then it goes back to like you said, he's not a politician in the King's Landing sense, but actually in a getting out there, making the hard decisions, especially in, like, wartime and things happening, and in, in a sense of how he kind of puts laws and peoples together and groups them, and how he thinks he should govern or how places should be governed, he thinks. And I definitely think that in some regards he devolves his his mm -hmm. compass, his moral compass devolves throughout the series. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. Which we see in the previous John chapter, right before this one, or not right before, but the John chapter before this chapter. The stuff that he he wants John to do, or what he wants to do, you know, he he's willing to sort of work around his normally law-driven framework to end up fulfilling this prophecy that has been bestowed upon him. Yes, mm -hmm. I love that the tragedy of it all, right? Like he's working against every moral code that he's ever set down to prove that he's the one. And I get it, you know. Like I said, he was. He was the, the introverted middle child that no one really, he wasn't exactly loved. And this person puts him on mm -hmm. this pedestal and now he's this savior of the world. So yeah, I, I, can be intoxicating. Yeah. yeah. Power. Power can be. And this chapter. Yeah, exactly. This chapter, especially like with what you're saying, James, it really rings true that this is a part on the course for his whole arc. Like, the de-evolution of Stannis because you have this is the chapter deliberately showing us he's not actually Azor Ahai right like this is where Maester Aemon beloved 
beloved man tells the reader, oh, this guy doesn't seem like the real deal to me. And I find that fascinating. Like, we don't have the final books, in case anyone's <laughs> forgotten. Really? Like, in case you've forgotten at home, we still don't have the final books, let alone the penultimate, let alone the ultimate, uh, the final three books, probably four, seven, eight. But <laughs> be that as it may, uh, since we don't have those books, I, I like to think of some of these characters that, I don't know, I think Stannis would probably piece out of the plot. And T-Wow, I think he'll uh, meet his end just timing-wise and pacing-wise. It seems like the right time to take him out at a climactic moment and keep the plot moving and grooving and make it all the reader for the better of it. But I, I wonder, this is his, I mean, we're in Storm and he's only in, what, two more books? Yeah, I definitely think uh, I definitely think Wow is where he's going to meet his end, and I maybe we'll get into it later. But I do have a potential theory on then how that's going to happen. Ooh, ooh, yeah. And, I'm interested. Yeah. Do you want to tell us now? Does it fit in better later? Save it for. It yeah. does fit in a little bit yeah. later. I, I, I'll throw it out. Yeah, Perfect. Yeah. I'll throw it out there. When build it comes. up to that climax. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My God. <laughs> Great. Well, let's build up to that climax, as Eliana said. You know, let's let's do a slow burn. Um. So. James, we did say up top that people can find you on the Hype Watch channel over on YouTube. Uh, maybe you can also find James at a D&D game near you. But where else can people find you on the internet? You can follow me on Twitter at jbush55. And that's bush with a ch. J-B-U-S-C-H 55. Correct. And that's really about it. I I'm not too much else on the internet, but... James was born in the year 1950. No, I'm joking. He'd be older than my parents. <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? That he would be older than my, par than my parents if he was born in 1950. What if he 1955? was? What's wrong with that? This series is for everyone, Eliana. I, I, don't, I don't think that James is. Per perhaps, it is for perhaps I have a ruby of glamour. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> James is actually born in, I, I was wrong, 1755. He's seen uh, a lot. I've seen, I seen some shit. <laughs> what James does in the shadows. <sighs> you know, like a vampire, because he's old. Yes, yes. That was the... Get it I got it. Out? No, I got it. That's why I laughed. <laughs> I'm thankful that you're trying to, you know, meet me where I am. Well, let's get ready to jump into it, because I am itching. I'm burning to hear this fever. I've got a fever for more Stannis theory. But before we can get into our episode, uh, we got a little bit of housekeeping up top. We just released a Patreon episode last month, February, titled Cersei, the Cersei POV, by Madeline Miller, because we read Cersei by Madeline Miller, and it was a total joy. One of us loved it. One of us liked it. You're going to come. You're going to find out who that was and who that was, and it's great. That's available for patrons over at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon in the stranger tier and above. And then let's say you are in the Thunder tier and above over on Patreon. You get access to our Discord, where once a month we have our brunch slash happy hour. And that usually has some fun reindeer games, giveaways, get to know yous. Yeah, this month's brunch has not yet been announced, but we'll get that date out for patrons soon. So stay tuned for next week. You'll probably hear about it during uh, the next Sam episode. And also, of course, all of the channels on Discord. There's a lot of talk about the Pokemon Legends Arceus game when I can finally get my hands on a fucking PS4. I, I said PS4, not PS5. I'm very excited to finally start playing Elden Ring. 
I want to play it too. And when you do, I yeah, will. you I'm have waiting. you could you could be playing right now. I'm not going to go without you. Are you playing? I'm complete trash at Souls likes games, so I don't even want to try. But maybe I'd give it a go. I don't know if I'll be good at it. I, I haven't really dabbled in the genre that much, so I don't know if I'll be good at it. But I'm pretty we'll I'm see. pretty mild mannered, and I believe I even threw a controller at one point when I played uh, Bloodborne. So. Oh. I did throw a controller at one point, then restarted my game when I accidentally killed an NPC. Um, I rage quit that game, and then started over, and then did it all over again and again. But I never like completed the game because I got stuck at one point. But I hear the game gets easier after that point, the catcher that got stuck at that point. Anyway, I like it. I I think I... I just like, you know, punishment, and that's why I'm covering this book series... Forever. 11 years after the previous one was released so yes yes speaking of with enjoying still punishment. with 10 yeah. to 11 povs to go uh <laughs> and speaking of enjoying punishment we also covered another book series yeah speaking of punishment you're right aliana we have major punishment in another series it's emotionally testing but complete to be fair uh, but the main trilogy is complete his Dark Materials, we cover His Dark Materials over at our Podbean stream, which can be found pretty much on every platform. Make sure you're subscribed to one of them to get updates, but we are getting through the end of the Amber Spyglass, moving on to, to greener His Dark Materials pastures. And hey, weekly over at Discord, our patron Pete is running a discussion rewatch on the show. So they're rewatching the TV show for his Dark Materials. They're talking about it weekly. It's been a blast. They've had a really good time. Absolutely. Be sure to check those out, but also check these out. We got an email slash tweet of note. Our friend Tourette of Tarth tweeted at us and said, was listening to Girls Gone Canon John, A Clash of Cakes 2 slash 3. Ha ha ha, we combined an episode. Uh, and I never realized before that Sam cloaks Gilly the moment they meet. Guys, they are married. That's so funny because last week in Sam 4, wasn't it? Or no, I'm sorry. It was in Sam 3 when our friend Noah was on with us. Uh, we talked about the cloaking being marriage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would like to just take a moment and say I'm nothing, nothing without catching marriages happening through exchanging cloaks in this series, right? Like that is the basis of me assuming each character is married to one another and for that, I would like to thank a few people, right? Like the Academy, uh, Lady Gwyn from Radio Westeros. Truly, I would not be here catching characters cloaking each other in marriage accidentally in the plot without her. Sansa and Sandor, George R. R. Martin, my Pisces Moon. I've just got a lot of thank yous to put out there, truly, for the way I am. Truly. I won't change, I don't think. I don't know. Ever. We say every episode also, I'm different now. <laughs> so who knows? You could be different. I'm different. But what if I'm not? Bitch, I'm different. Oh my um, god, girls gone canon. So, and with that, we have our lightning round. Yes, our lightning round is actually really short this week. We got really lucky. We just have two chapters to look into between Sam 4 and Sam 5. That first chapter being John 11. Stannis believes in the United States of Jon Snow, so much so that he would like him to accept an upper management position as the Lord of Winterfell with a stunning free folk wife. What will Jon choose? Tyrion Eleven. 
Across the United States of Jon Snow, Tyrion is deeply betrayed by his loved ones and shoots a crossbow into his dad's gut while he shits one out. Normal stuff. And Sam 5 overview. With the new king at the wall and Castle Black alumni in tow, election day, well days, has become tense. Sam helps to resolve all that. And that brings us to Sam 5. We opened with the king was angry. Sam saw that at once. And so Stannis has gathered us all here today to complain that the choosing is taking too long and he just shoves away his breakfast, which is wasteful. All right, I would never do this. It's hard bread, salt beef, and boiled eggs. Melisandre is also here. She seems very interested with everything going on. And a lot of the people here are like the Night's Watch leadership. They're, um, you know, you've got Sam escorting Aemon to help him up the steps. But Sam doesn't feel that he should be here because like also the rest of everyone else are the contenders for Lord Commander. I love that Sam has kind of carved himself this, this status, right? He's bought himself this tiny bit of status in the Watch hiding between the lines. He's able to slip between in the Night's Watch because of what he's capable of, right? I think Jor says early on that he has so many men that are muscly, brawny disasters. He doesn't need more of that. He needs thinkers and leaders. Uh, Sam's skills, his writing, his reading, his uh, ability to also be quiet and unseen. Uh, some of the things that people probably regard him for as cowardly traits or small traits oftentimes are, are kind of useful here. He actually kind of fits in in that, that he can get in with the room where it's happening. I find that dynamic interesting, and I'm excited to watch it grow at the Citadel, specifically, right? Where he's then put with men who are very similar to him in some aspects, but likely will have some hubris, right? And so, and we've seen a bit of that in that prologue, of course. What you're saying about, you know, being in the room where it happens, I mean, Sam is making some of those rooms be that room in this chapter, but... It's funny because he starts the chapter off, right, with this, like, real big imposter syndrome thing going on here. He's like, why am I here? And it's also interesting that the chapter opens with the framing of, well, I mean, Melisandre's here, and I'm sure that everyone else is also like, well, why is she here? Right? No one's really <laughs> wondering about Sam. They're like, yeah, he works he works here. But I doubt that she, Melisandre, feels any uncertainty about her presence. Also, I just wanted to give the aside of Sam going, like, don't look at me has always kind of reminded me of that, like, scene where Zoidberg is going, like, look at me, look at me, and then oh everything like, falls apart. He goes, don't look at me. I feel that in my soul. It's interesting when you when you brought up. I just thought about it when you when you brought up uh, the fact that he was a room full of meatheads. I actually do think like that part of Sam's character is kind of like a reprimand of like toxic masculinity mm-hmm. because I mean I understand that we're looking at a regressive culture by or civilization by our standards, but um, obviously in that world, why doesn't Randall love Sam because he's not a big brawny boy and he doesn't uh, you know he sings to his sister. And he doesn't value the things that Sam brings to the table, mm-hmm. which he shows throughout this whole series. Yeah, but yet here he is contending with them, those same men, right, that, that Sam's dad hated him so much for not being. And here Sam is able to contend and be in that room with him. That's power. Yes, yeah, Sam. Sam doesn't even realize until the end of the chapter. Like at the end of the chapter, he's like, holy shit, it's this easy to be a powerful man? Why didn't I try this like yesterday? Must be a great drug coursing through his veins at the end of this chapter. Adrenaline. Adrenaline, yeah. The best of drugs. 
there's this line you talked about Melisandre and something I didn't really notice till honestly this read through she's staring at Bowen Marsh and she's like staring majorly at him more than other people Sam notices Bowen's the first stab for John do you think that she was maybe wondering of him maybe seeing him in her past fires suddenly Mm, maybe i i don't know why i read that line wrong (laughs) i thought it was melisandre being interested in maester aemon and i was like oh yeah duh but now that you say bone marsh that is it is very strange that's a good catch and i think that's very plausible of course in her mind she probably saw stannis being stabbed with like the back of his head and thought it was him or something or maybe Perhaps some of his machinations ah. happening and that Stannis is doing with the with the Night's Watch that maybe would put him in a negative favor with them. Maybe she saw something. But yeah, it's, I didn't think about that, but that's, good, that's, a, that's a good observation. And, and you know, it's funny because we have what in Dance you get the daggers in the dark warning, right? Which mm-hmm. kind of implies maybe she had been seeing it before and been piecing it together. So I wonder if she's like been piecing that vision together and seeing that vision together for so long. Mm. Maybe she made out Bowen Marsh's face just lightly in her memory etched and went, wait a second. But we do also have in John 8 during the fighting, uh, there's this line where he says, the battle with the Magnar had been nothing. The night felt less than nothing, only a probe, a dagger in the dark to try and catch them unprepared. So it does feel like I'm just looking for those hints of the daggers forming. And you start to kind of see them here where, you know, politics are being chosen for John. The path is being laid. Mm-hmm. Stannis makes everyone just like stay on their knees for a while, including Aemon, which is pretty rude, until he finally tells everyone to rise. And then when they do, Janos decides to kiss ass and Stannis shuts that down. This slays me. Uh, Janos starts off being like, you've stopped the savages. The singers are going to make songs of this, which goes to show you a couple things. Janos slant, dead ass, head empty, right? That's the first thing. What the, f- why did you think that would work? Do you know, you, you should know this by now about Stannis. You should have at least heard of his repute. And it goes to show you the state of King's Landing and how people get things done in that court and the kind of machinations and the lying and bullshittery that goes on. Because if Janos's first reaction was to go to like, oh my lord, they're going to make so many songs of you, my great king, about you slaying these savages and besting them. I find that very fascinating. Maybe Renly that would have worked on. Maybe Robert, because he really just so doesn't give a shit, right? He's that far over his, his entire throne and crown. But that doesn't work on Stannis. Jano should know better. He was the commander of the Gold Cloaks. Stannis was the master of ships. Stannis was going around with Jon Arryn before the start of Game of Thrones. So they were in the city at the same time. Surely he would know Stannis by reputation. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, if, if he didn't have interaction, he would know by him reputation that Stannis, they, you know, they ain't going to work on him. And I'm kind of surprised he didn't know it. And, and it's funny, you know, Janos. I know it's about with George. He does have a few characters that have like zero redeemable quality and Jano Slint is one of those like up there with like Rorge and Ramsey. Yeah. It's like, yeah, just like a few characters that have like zero redeemable quality and Jano Slint is one of those. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also funny. Cause it's like, isn't this what landed you here? You little rat. Didn't you, 
just slightly a little bit try too hard for Tyrion thinking you were already in and Tyrion was like oh you're in in for the night's watch you fucking sneak it's just really funny because you look at Jano Slint's machinations in King's Landing and how they landed him here and how then you know John's gonna land him dead out of life yeah dead (laughs) how another king will land him to death um and I, I say what you want about how much I don't love Stannis, right? Okay. But you have to admit, it, he doesn't see the free folk as savages. Uh, that, that's mm-hmm. such like a very Southern way of looking at things. Also, Janos, God, be more Southern. I don't know. There's something interesting because Stannis obviously in the last chapter just put great value on the free folk, right? By by looking at them and all of their worldly assets and saying i want those first of all second of all by saying come live in my realm and you need to live in the north and and we'll save you and you're gonna fight for us and be our our people and armies too uh and then trying to marry val to john like like obviously stannis doesn't see them that way and he sees some sort of value in them and I don't know. I hate that we live in a society, right? And I hate that they live in a society, but I also recognize you can't unravel hundreds of years of said society and its progression overnight. Uh, And politically, you have to start to kind of normalize things that need to be brought into your realm if you want to be a king. So while I don't agree that changing everything in the North or coming to the North and thinking he's going to make big changes is the best way to do it, I do think that him marrying them together trying to bring the free folk into the realm and marry them to the north, who are also kind of more isolated uh, of the the countries that are attached here in Westeros. Uh, It's smart. Politically speaking, it's kind of what the north will represent, right? In the Winds of Winter and in A Dream of Spring, of combining cultures and people, uh, the new gift, right? Combining that north and south, that break between the neck with the water of the hammers, in a way, like we've talked about Isis forging, the two swords, uh, the North is going to really need a lot of that to come together. In regards to Stannis, well, of course, there's the famous Donald Noy quote about his rigidity. But, you know, in some regards, he's actually can be pretty flexible. Like in this instance, he, he sees uh, an opportunity here with the wildlings to potentially bring him to his fealty. Um, and then, of course, in Dance, when he is going to march on the Night Fort, but he was able to be persuaded by John to take a different route. So if he was truly just not fluid and, and brittle, then he would not agree to that. So he does have his moments, but he also does have his moments of, you know, shit as well. <laughs> but Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think it's like, I guess it's, it's smart for him in terms of adding to his numbers. I'm just mixed on it because of what we discussed in those John chapters. I don't think that Stannis necessarily sees them as savages, but he definitely doesn't see them as culturally sophisticated or as equal to the same sort of personhood as the Westerosi. Yes. Because again, he is forcing them to convert. He is trying to erase their culture. And some while he is like trying to merge them in like his plan to marry Val to John, while we can see that... Stannis kind of means that as more of like a merging of two kingdoms sort of way Mm -hmm. and sees them as like a unified kingdom. I think that is still like failing to recognize their culture, which we were, we are going to see Stannis just does that because he fails to recognize the Night's Watch's culture in like a second. But I I definitely don't think it's coming from some sort of altruistic value of his. It's, it's merely, uh, it's a a matter of convenience. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. 
And I will say, I think my views were very strongly made on that at the time of the episode, because people won't shut the fuck up about them all the time to me. But um, I think my views were strongly made at the time. And I I will say, though, like, this is pragmatic if he wants it to be. You know, it's a very legal way of tying up some knots and saying, good, my kingdom's good. On to the next motherfucking thing. I don't know. There's such a big difference, though, like you're saying, of, like, leading and ruling compared to, like, a good ruler and somebody who's just, like, ruling. And I guess seeing Stannis making these choices and then seeing Jon be set up to become Lord Commander by Sam and, like, knowing why Sam is doing it is because Jon makes, maybe can make more fair choices than what we're seeing Stannis do. Stannis is one of those people, like, great commander, would have been a great admiral, but, you know, you're mm-hmm. kind of, you should be capped there. Maybe you shouldn't go any yeah. higher than that. Also, he, he like, just doesn't admiral. know anything about the North, you know, so he's coming to the, it really just makes me go, what the fuck, Stannis, because he comes to the North, and he's like, I'm gonna play in this sandbox for my next feat, since I've been kicked out of the rest of the sandboxes of Westeros. Yeah. He's kind of trying to learn more. You know, he listens to John, and I think it's interesting that you brought up the Donald Noy quote because of something that you said earlier before we started the episode, and maybe we can come back to this later, but a lot of people see, and, and you know, this is something that I didn't see when I first started reading Stannis' character, they see that he does bend, he is more flexible than people give him credit for, and in a lot of ways that that is good, right? Like, that is pragmatic, you kind of need to have that sort of flexibility in order to change your plans, but I thought it was interesting um, that you brought up, you know, that, that constant like bending and changing of his ways, and also the spending of the rules will also end up being his undoing. It's 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 both good I know that sounds, I'm gonna make it sound really dumb and simplistic, but it's both good and bad. So I, I thought that was really interesting that you brought up that's Stannis, man. It as a negative. Yeah. We might come back to that in a second. Because Stannis is now here to complain about how long the choosing is taking. And he needs a lord commander that would weigh in on captives, the realm, and the war now. And Janos is like, of course, of course, encouraging Stannis to weigh in. And for obvious reasons, this does not sit well with Pike and Malister, who have been at the Watch longer, because the choice belongs to the Watch. It is a tradition, millennia old, and like we said, you know, Stannis isn't, like, great at picking picking up on this, and also I think it's interesting that Jano seems willing to throw it out. It shows how little he's been here, and his actually, like, failure to even try to assimilate to Night's Watch culture. Then we have Stan- Stannis calling Janos' bluff, saying, like, As to royal guidance, Janos, if you mean that I ought to tell your brothers to choose you, have the courage to say so. That took Lord Janos aback. He smiled uncertainly and began to sweat, but Bowen Marsh behind him said, Who better to command the Black Cloaks than the man who once commanded the gold, sire? And it's funny because in the very next chapter, Bowen Marsh is literally like up Jon Snow's ass. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> I'll be your steward. Hey, he knows oh, who butters his bread, man. He knows who lets him get the good sausages from the cellar. And then he stabs him. Uh, yep yep that too oh, yeah that's that's really getting you know getting in there with someone how well, better than with a knife like i said he got the sausage he was he was good he didn't need john anymore and, uh, and of course uh stannis's uh, reply is legendary any of you i would think even the cook the look the king gave slint was cold 
Janos was hardly the first gold cloak to ever take a bribe, I grant you, but he may have been the first commander to fatten his purse by selling places and promotions. By the end, he must have had half the officers in the city watch paying him part of their wages. Isn't that so, Janos? Slint's neck was purpling. Lies! All lies! A strong man makes enemies. Your grace knows that. They whisper lies behind your back. Not was ever proven. Not a man came forward. Two men who were prepared to come forward died suddenly on their rounds. Stannis narrowed his eyes. Do not trifle with me, my lord. I saw the proof John Aaron laid before the small council. If I had been king, you would have lost more than your office. I promise you. But Robert shrugged away your little lapses. They all steal, I recall him saying. Better a thief we know than one we don't. The next man might be worse. Lord Peter's words in my brother's mouth, I'll warrant. Littlefinger had a nose for gold, and I'm certain he arranged matters so the crown profited as much from your corruption as you did yourself. And, it, you know, that's that's interesting that I'm thinking about the quote there about uh, Littlefinger. Of course, mm. it was probably about gold, uh, but also I imagine mm. he planted that in Robert's mind for other reasons, just because he wanted to have an inept mm. commander as the, the city guard. Absolutely. But yeah, to me, this is like, peak Stannis in terms of his character, not in his, like, actions that would be smashing the wildlings in John 10, but in terms of, like, why I have a soft spot for him, because he's a character with many flaws, uh, which we've kind of touched on, but he does have some semblance of honor and does not fall prey to Slint's smarmy machinations of trying to uh, coax his ego uh, to curry his favor to sway the other Black Brothers to vote for him to be Lord Commander, like, which I said before was really dumb in hindsight, because he should know better. And I, I personally enjoy his quips and one-liners all throughout the series. Like, he just has such a acerbic personality that I find hilarious. I, I do think his character will jump the shark in T-Wow. And he's definitely not the ultimate hero. Like I, I said before, I don't know if some... Ra I don't know the rabid Stannis fans. You can let me know if you still believe he's a Zora High. I don't think they listen to us. Oh, okay. <laughs> well... If there's if there is one that's listening, you can you can let me know uh, if you still believe that this this uh, story, which definitely isn't about him, if he's going to be the ultimate hero. <laughs> yeah, damn. James. I still I love the character. Uh, I love the character, but let's bring James on for every chapter that Stannis is on. I think we don't have many more. I I have regrets. We should have brought James on for every single one of them. Ugh. Um. Absolutely, I agree. And yeah, he does have he does have a very dry wit, and I he he's very quotable. Like I, again, like I found myself changing in that I, I quote Stannis more <laughs> nowadays. Like the good can wash out the bad, nor the bad the good. And I'm like, who am I uh, as a person who's always been a Stannis hater? But very true about Slint's smarmy flattery. As as you all said, like it is the wrong strategy for winning Stannis over, but I do think I do think that Slint got one one piece of the messaging right, but it wasn't enough when he was like, "Oh, Stannis, you did your duty by coming down here," and I'm like, "Yeah, that is what he thinks he did, isn't it?" Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. It's true. It's what anyone should do. It's what any of them should have been ready to do. So. Good, good for him for doing his duty, but it is just that it's duty. <laughs> I will say, I, I I laughed so hard that like 
Jano Slint didn't show up knowing enough about Stannis to win any of his his little thing with Stannis here, his butt kissing with Stannis. But Stannis fucking knew him. Stannis read him his number. And if there is something that Stannis is strong at, I will say him knowing his people like that, good for him. Knowing the people he's going to have to be around during this time. Uh, I also really love that in the middle of an election, Jano Slint is like, no, I hate freedom. I wish you'd just take all freedoms away from all of us, always. Which is like, to be fair, at a fast food restaurant, it's cool, right? Like, that's how I feel at McDonald's or something. I'm like, I don't know. There's too much. Just pick something for me. But not during an election for how you live your bleak fucking everyday life at the wall. I know that he was hoping it would lead to their win, you know, his win, but damn, dude, you really want to just take democracy away? You don't have a lot out there. Yeah. I mean, again, that shows like how little Slint has been here and how little he's really come to know the culture that he was kind of forced to join Mm -hmm. because it is a penal colony in many ways, too, but yeah, it, he like kind of just completely. It's. I think what's so interesting is like you said, Stannis understands Jano Slint, and they clearly work together. It's like if I didn't get along with a coworker, I'm not gonna ask them for a job reference, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what Janos did. Like, why would I ask the person I didn't get along with or burn bridges with who clearly doesn't like my performance? So, anyways, Eamon saves the conversation and says. All right, well, Janos's resume is clean now. His past crimes are gone now that he's a brother. Stannis is in the back like, yeah, but he's still a bitch, though. Uh- <laughs> he's like, that can't be erased. <laughs> That's a stained faux life. Uh, well, we-, we do change. We do turn over to the matter of war. The, the big one. The big one, lads. The ice zombie one and the demon war. The brothers remind Stannis they fight to defend the wall and not take part in the Seven Kingdoms wars. Stannis agrees and he says, fine, fine, fine. I'll just take your castles and the gift. And everyone's like, um, excuse me? What? That's that's kind of a lot. Stannis says he could conquer it, but he would rather it be uh, gifted to him. Again, they try to give Stannis a history lesson on the gift, and he's like, nope, nope, I want the castles, I want them to be manned and repaired, and I want that gift. And I kind of believe Stannis is being a walking conundrum here, because we know he is rigid when it comes to law, but he's willing to take the gift by force, which does not seem to jive with his his framework of how he generally is, and he's being very demanding with the whole forcing them to choose a Lord Commander thing. He knows that that should be a decision made by them on their own terms and that he needs the majority of the castles on the wall. It, it, to me, it reeks of desperation and, uh, in my opinion, showcases the danger of prophecy and false preordained destiny that's been placed upon him. To me, this desperation is what will lead him to do what we all think he will most likely do in The Winds of Winter, which is burn Shireen. My prediction for T-Wow is I actually kind of think that maybe the epilogue of T-Wow will be hmm. from Stannis' POV. Um, oh, ooh. fun. Yeah. Interesting, I, juicy. I, it would be compelling to get his thought process when he's seeing his daughter burn. And we will talk about it with the night. You know, it, it all kind of depends on if the pink letter is true, which I, I probably not. But, you know, maybe, you know how time works between these books. Perhaps we'll start getting that stuff. And he actually is dead. 
and that stuff did happen around Winterfell, but I kind of think maybe not. I think that maybe, you know, with uh, Solice and uh, Shireen going to the Night Fort uh, and dance, and of course, the crazy shit that's happened at the Night Fort, uh, I could see potentially that being where the others come crashing through, not like in the show at, at, at Castle Black, but through the Night Fort. And with that would be the impetus of desperation for Stannis to burn Shireen mm. is to summon that grace that that stone dragon uh, by burning Shireen at the Night Fort and probably fail or not work because it's not meant to be or whatever. But I could see that being the end of T Wow burning Shireen at the mm. Night Fort, the others overrunning the wall at that point. I could see. I could see it that and I love the the Stannis part especially like I think that having him as the epilogue would be great. I could see though it being split. Yeah. And us getting the burning from Mel and then the aftermath from Stannis of what happened in the camp because I do think unfortunately the bad show did have some things right in season 5 and I don't know that I've ever said that in my life in one sentence so I yeah, need I don't you think all I've to write that down. I uh, <laughs> the only thing that season 5 did there in that I actually kind of uh, and it's actually especially the way you reminded me of it James of the desperation of a man that that is just like desperate and he's not winning like are you winning son? No, I'm not. Not at all. Uh it, it's not going to get better for him right now like i think that's for sure with where he is and he's like under feet and feet of snow i think that that probably has a little bit of truth to it the desertions at the camp people running you know uh, everything being over the fucking gig is up you know you guys have been kind of grifting yeah <laughs> and it turns out you're not the yeah. chosen one and then the wall falling, like, but then that, oh man, that and the others taking him and overcoming everything. That could be true too. Like, how do you, how, where do you stand on the pink letter? Like, fake or? Oh, I think it's total bullshit. Total bullshit yeah. I think, I think it's, I don't know, you know, we've talked about it before. I'm not the like a huge. The content or the author. Yeah. The author is like what makes all the difference, right? And I think it's probably bullshit coming from somebody on the northern side in some way. Yeah. I love the idea, and I don't think this is it, but I love the Barbary Dustin kind of theory that people have floated that it was her that sent it, but I, I don't think it's true, but I love it, but I don't know. I think it's either like Ramsey gassing him up and lying. I think that's very likely, yeah. honestly. Yeah, it's just interesting. I think that's likely. It's like, where where is it going to happen? I don't mm-hmm. know. I just kind of like, you know, the night fort where the night king. The fell, dogs the, also. The, the hounds. Yeah. And the uh, that's yeah the 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 rat cook uh, killing mm-hmm. killing a uh, a son of a king you know you'll have an, a yeah another. so I just find it that's sort of poetic if that's where it happens I don't know if that's gonna be the case yeah but. yeah no I definitely think it happens there though <laughs> yeah I think I think you really got something there with the where and I I really like that idea of a Stannis epilogue I haven't considered that um, but I do think it might be split you got to give him time to like really. Really be like, what the fuck have I done? <laughs> I to really lose it all, lose absolutely everything, you know, grind him down. I just think it'd be good, you uh, know, for because obviously Stannis, a divisive character, but a character that is what? Yeah, really? Yeah, a divisive character, <laughs> but a character that is loved by a portion of the uh, of the fandom. It would be interesting to get his thoughts of all this. 
in some Absolutely. in a POV. Yeah. And I've always wanted I've always wanted, you know, his thoughts. I've always felt like if I had them, I would feel differently about his character. But I, I really like that idea. Right. Imagine imagine if you never got Jamie's thoughts or Cersei's thoughts. Yes. Oh God, I wish. We Every almost, day yeah, I think oh about God. that. <laughs> <laughs> we almost we almost didn't, I guess, you know. Yeah. Yeah, we did almost didn't. Better days. But, pff, oh my god. I like the Jamie POVs. I think they're interesting. I don't know. And I don't know about all that. She anyways, <laughs> um, I was gonna bring up old moods and I didn't. And <laughs> My B. My B. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's uh it's just me, you know, talking about Chloe's actions in the past. And I don't know what those actions are you're referring to. They didn't happen during the Jamie POV. They did don't happen. know. I don't think that there's any citation that you could bring up. I don't think that you know what chapter it was or what part of the chapter it could have even been because it didn't happen. Well, speaking of people being contradictory, I really love this <laughs> observation that you made, James. Of, of, yeah, talking about, I mean, you've given like a great trajectory of how we end up there, right, to Stannis's downfall. But that's also like a great point of how his actions and here by that i guess i mean his threats really act contrary to where he says he falls when it comes to you know being like i'm about the law and i'm like "Eh, are you you've kind of just made the law up the law uh you did that and i i kind of wonder like could he have gotten closer to an agreement in regards to being like what if you gifted the gift to me you know, like, had he discussed his plans with the Night's Watch instead of acting very entitled to the land? Like, you know, if he's going to farm it, if he told everyone, oh, you'll have more food, like, would the Night's Watch have been more down? I think he was kind of being coy about that because he, I feel like he would have known that they would have objected to, if he would have told him, hey, I'm giving the gift to the Wildlings. Uh, and Okay, fair, yeah, true. You, you guys got to be cool with that. True. And I feel like he kind of lucked out with uh the only one that knew about that plan was Jon Snow when he became the Lord Commander mm-hmm. and ended up agreeing to it. Uh, and I just like, I wonder what would have happened if had it been Cotter Pike, good old Cotter Pike elected as the uh, Lord Commander. Uh, that would have been an interesting proposition. I <laughs> I think that maybe yeah. there'd be dead night, uh, dead brothers potentially. I don't know. I, I don't know what would have happened if that was the case. I think that's an interesting what if. There are still dead brothers right now. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> like John There'd Snow. be more. Yeah. And the people <laughs> killed Snow, during his death. <laughs> people died then too. You know what? Actually, but mostly like Stannis people died now that I think about it or got hurt. So they're not brothers. They're not my Not my not brothers. My <sighs> I don't know them. I'm not I don't claim them. Something about the entire gift that is is it feels very dirty to me that Stannis like is putting his hands on it because it was given it was given directly to the Night's Watch by Queen Allie, right? Uh, yeah, the cat and Jake. Yeah, yeah the cats, yes. my cats, Allie and Jake. It was given They're directly to the Watch. So for Stannis, it, it almost reminds me of. How Tywin needs to have a Valyrian steel sword because he never got one, you know, and it was the one shiny mm. thing he didn't have to kind of give his raiment what it needed. Stannis taking the gift, like it's almost like, well, I'll take it and I'll have some sort of bit of Targaryen rule like Robert kind of got, you know. I don't know. There's something really dirty about it, though, that he's trying to take it because it was so specifically given to them and to the north and because Ned wanted to settle it. 
right? Mm-hmm. The settling of the gift is the dream for spring. I mean, that's probably what's going to happen. The dream of spring, the gift being settled. And, you know, even parallel to some of these chapters happening, like Daenerys in A Storm of Swords, right? Uh, that, that the slave masters think they can take advantage of her because she's a slight young woman. And she kind of does some, a little bit of conniving to prove that she's not just a young woman. She knew their language. She knew what they planned. And now she's roasted them with her dragons. Womp womp. Something about that understanding and how like slave masters will never understand a dragon and what a dragon symbolizes. And the North spirit, I mean, Asha and Sea Dragon Point when she landed there and she's like, oh shit, there is nothing at Sea Dragon Point, right? Like there's nothing that I could mine here there's nothing that i could cultivate at sea dragon point to to have a home or create kind of a fostering and seeing it as as worthless stannis looks at the gift and he doesn't see it for those things he doesn't suggest like hey what if we cultivated a bunch of shit for the north what if we use this he sees it as a place to reward his men or a place to pass around some empty shitty titles which let's face it this isn't like this is an island resort right? This is the North. It's not like a vacation fun land. The people that live here live here because their families have lived here for years and years and years and they're a part of the North and it's a hard land and it's not kind to people as Stannis is going to continue to learn. I don't know. Having the gift won't make him king. These castles in the cold North aren't going to make him king. They're abandoned castles that are going to require capital and manpower to fix when you have ice zombies at your door. Like, this isn't what gives you your Iron Throne, Stannis, demanding land that really, really doesn't belong to you. Yeah, it isn't medieval land fun time world, the greatest (laughs) video that exists on the internet, even though I probably mixed it up again. It's probably medieval world fun time. I don't remember. I always mix up the land and the world. But I think you're right that it's not going to give him the Iron Throne at all. And I... Once more, do not know who I am. I guess, I am I defending him? I don't know if it's defending, whatever. But settling it does help in, like you said, right? Like, it does help a little in terms of the zombie wars and being able to make it through winter, being able to sustain people because the less people that starve to death Mm -hmm. are less zombies. So there's like that. It's just, as you said, right? He's choosing the wrong people for the job. While he might know that Janos Slint is not the man for this job, he doesn't quite seem to understand that some of the other men that serve him are also not the men for yeah, that like job. Yeah, like Godry Faring living on the gift isn't gonna, f- it's not gonna fucking add to society. You know, like that's not going to help the North be a better North. And again, it's just like straight up disrespectful that he's taking the gift from the watch because it's literally. Like, or that he thinks he could have any claim. Like, it was given. It was a gift to the Watch because the Watch don't got shit. Because Allie and Jake went up there and they were like, yo, y'all are broke, broke for real up here. Holy shit. We got to give you this gift. Yeah. It's wrong. It's wrong. Well, and take backsies. It's just rude. Yeah. And you know what, Stannis? You'll pay for your crimes. In the epilogue. <laughs> In James's epilogue. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because I don't know what we're getting George's. Um, <laughs> fuck, fuck. 
Uh, you know, you can really see a change in our own characters over the years by like how, again, how salty we get, how sad we get about the book. <laughs> You're one of Girls Gone Kian, 2018, Eddard, us. But you know, that's inappropriate because we're going to get these books someday. And I really think that everybody needs to have a better attitude about it. Girls Gone Canon today, 2022. Whenever those fucking books happen, they'll come out. Will they? They will. Will they? It's going to be the uh, the Jumanji meme. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yes. Do you think it would have been more savvy? I mean, obviously, the gift should have stayed with the, the watch. But do you think it would have been more savvy for him politically in the North to give the gift to Northmen? Interesting. Um, hmm. Probably would have been better if he wanted crops to grow because again godry farting is just i don't know that he's going to have time to really cultivate the hard soils of the north yeah i think that it is like it's a little insulting because the north has had so much taken from them already too but also i still think that's also kind of insulting but it's better than putting his own men on the gift in the vast north i don't know yeah i think fortifying them no one wants to join the Night's Watch, you know, like maybe you need to change the benefits for the Night's Watch. Maybe you should have been negotiating that too and then fortifying it so it could have been held by the Watch and having more people that want to be a part of the Watch instead of like the 600 that have died uh, and not been replaced. Like talk about fucking turnover, you know? Well, there's life insurance. If you die you come back, the ice zombies and the others, You, yeah, you might kind of survive. But again, as is like... As an ice zombie, they sent Sam to the Citadel to go improve their health care. Yeah, there's an education reform kind of thing in place. That's true. Uh, I just... No, these are terrible benefits. I need some benefits. Yeah, like, where are the benefits for... What are, what is the benefit for that gift being taken? And you're right. Like, I will succumb to that. You are right Lodging. that having someone there manning it, fortifying it on it, that's good. That keeps kind of a barrier for the rest of the North and for the rest of the fucking nation. But it's not the right people. And it's the North's land. It's not his. Listen, my problem is that the North should be independent and free and not understand his realm. So I just don't think these questions are fair. You're asking me is what I'm saying, James. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> I'm just here for the lull. I believe I mean, in a free and independent North. As we all should. Mm -hmm. Amen. Hallelujah. So then... Then Stannis asked for some admin work on the state of every castle and a, a report of what work must be done. He's got a deadline. It's within the year. Also, he wants them to all burn night fires. And the brothers find this strange, but Melisandre chimes in. You are. The woman rose in a swirl of scarlet silk, her long copper bright hair tumbling about her shoulders. Swords alone cannot hold this darkness back. Only the light of the Lord can do that. Make no mistake, good sirs and valiant brothers, the war we've come to fight is no petty squabble over lands and honors. Ours is a war for life itself, and should we fail, the world dies with us. Question, how do you guys read Mel? Do you guys have like a like an, an accent when you read Mel? It's Eliana. That's what I think. Uh, <laughs> I think about Eliana. Well, my, my accent would not, I think, feel... No, not very authentic. You're right. I just like I just don't know that that's what people imagine from Mel. You, if you would all like to watch me say lines from Melisandre, you can find it on the Ice and Fire Con YouTube, mm -hmm. where I joined our friends Scad and Seth 
to perform, I don't know, one of the Davos Santa scenes. Wasn't it the leech scene or was it the, was it leeches? I don't remember. Hmm. Hmm. I, I definitely imagine sort of like, yeah, like breathy and mystical and kind of, I don't know, deep. She's also like a performer, right? Mm -hmm. So I feel like at the same time. If she's changed her appearance, like, I definitely would not be surprised if she's learned and picked up different accents and performs a sort of, like, all these different kinds of accents as well in order to add to that mystique and allure, right? Mm-hmm. Because she understands that that performance is part of her power. Selling it, yes. Yeah. Maybe an unpopular opinion, but she's she's one of my favorite characters. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's not an unpopular opinion. Oh, okay. Is it? I don't think so. I think that it's become... I think that your opinions have risen, James, and I think everyone there's a lot of malappreciation, I think. Okay. It might just be our it might just be our Discord and listeners. It might be our side. It might be <laughs> We our might side. be biased. Yeah. We like her. I like her. So I, I'm excited to learn a lot more about Melisandra. Yeah. yeah. Uh, obviously she has her moments of, you know, burning people and stuff. Uh but ultimately like I do think she's like utilitarianism. I think she's sort of like a uh, an embodiment of that, yeah. like you know, the end justifies the means, and she's willing to do what what she needs to do to achieve those means. But in her, the end game is a net positive, mm-hmm. though she does some bad along yeah. the way. She's like definitely not lawful good, but <laughs> I think she's trying the best she can. You know, I I legitimately believe she is trying the best she can. Yeah, towards as as you said, like doing good. And to be fair, like the world. there have been so many times where. Even though I'm probably wrong, I think I'm right. So I get it. I really get it. You know, deep down, like, thinking that you have it right, thinking it's right, this is fate, being wrong, going hard ass and, like, not not taking that faith out, you know? Just going in hard on being wrong. Yeah, I think I'm more like, I don't know, Brienne and Sam and being like, wow, I've really let everyone down. I don't think I'm... I don't even know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> the two genders. <laughs> so unexpectedly, Aemon chimes in. These are great pairings. Uh, Aemon chimes in speaking of the prophecy of the prince who was promised. And Mel's like, yeah, that's Stannis. He's got the sword, everything. Sam notices Stannis's discomfort during this conversation. And uh, then he dismisses them, except for Aemon and Sam. I find it interesting that Sam notes Stannis shying away from the title of being the prince that was promised, right? Slash Azora High, slash I'm still not convinced these are all the same person. It reflects in a way Sam in previous chapters, and also in this one, shying away from being called Sam the Slayer. He hates having that title pinned onto his name. And earlier, James, you were talking about like the dangers of preordained destiny and... A lot of what Sam said in those previous chapters is that he rejects Sarah Piggy, he rejects the Slayer... Because he doesn't want to be tied to those narratives, right? So I kind of wonder if, like, names uh, can sometimes act as a sort of destiny when people really believe in that story of themselves for too long. Yeah. I also think that Sam isn't about that life. So, like, he doesn't mm-hmm. he, he, he doesn't want to be known as the Slayer. Or he doesn't care. Whereas I think Stannis, he does want... You know, he shows that he is uncomfortable uh, with when he's called the Prince that was promised. But he ultimately wants to be the hero, I believe. Yeah. Uh, where Sam is like, I just, I just want to live, <laughs> and just be. Yeah. What I need to do. So. I do believe, yeah, what you said. 
I also think like, and it's especially Sam, Sam like wants to actually be brave, right? He doesn't care about being any chosen one. He just hopes for bravery and for protecting his loved ones. That's very important to him. And for Stannis, Stannis is willing, like we've said, to do what it takes to get what he wants. And he wants to be as powerful as Robert. He wants to be so powerful that he doesn't ever have to feel again how he was made to feel in Robert's shadow growing up and after the loss of his parents. And there's something interesting in that Sam has always wanted to shrink into the shadows and be kind of Mm -hmm. invisible and avoid his father's abuses and, you know, avoid bullying from the other men at the watch. Um, And so for once, like, Stannis shrinking away from that name is more that he's willing to do anything to get what he truly wants, right? That, That power and that fix where he doesn't really necessarily want everything that comes with what she's giving him, right? Like, she's like, okay, this is the cost. You have to be the chosen one now. Uh, you're powerful. I've seen your power. Also, you're Azora High. It's a tough job. Yeah, she's like, and your dick is so powerful. Oh my god. You gotta pray <laughs> to it every night. Is. There's also something going on that I love here with Melisandre and Aemon of seeing each other as almost equals or understanding each other's mm. professions here more. Like, she at least is regarding him as an equal. He says, well, you've heard of the prince that was promised prophecy. And she's like, yeah, old man, everyone's fucking heard that, even though she's probably also old woman. So this is really from old woman to old man. Uh, She's like, of course, everyone's fucking heard of that prophecy. Amen. And it, it seems they speak like a similar wavelength, right? They're in the same language of the mysteries, because, of course, he's studied all of the great mysteries and studied his chain links throughout, and she has studied heavily into the mysteries. You know, like when you read it earlier, like, she was like, uh, yeah, it's Stennis. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> How um, are we not coming to the same conclusion? <laughs> but yeah, I, I find it interesting that uh, when Eamon asked Mel, where is the prince that was promised, that Mel says Stannis is the prince that was promised, and says that he is Azor High in the same sentence, using those terms interchangeably. And I believe she does that throughout the whole series. She, Because mm-hmm. like you said earlier, and I'm inclined to agree with that, that they're probably not the same person. And I, I don't believe Eamon ever actually uses those terms interchangeably. I obviously had to go and read every chapter that Eamon was ever a part of. Well, at least post this, where he starts <laughs> talking about it in Feast. But I'm pretty sure he never uses it interchangeably. I, I think he specifically says the prince that was promised. He never says Azora High. And he believes that Danny is the prince that was promised, uh, which is probably mm-hmm. a pretty good guess. But yeah, so I, I think that's, you know, it's interesting. It's like the first signs. And of course, when it comes to the sword, we'll talk about later. But uh, that... You know, we're learning that Mel maybe is unreliable when it comes to her, what she's seen in her flames. She is doing the best she can. I just don't know, like, that the best she can is always the best interpretation, as you were saying, right, when it comes to these prophecies. And it's funny that, as you said, right, you'd have to read all the Eamon chapters just after this, his first mention of it, because this is the time that Eamon busts out. He's like, you all knew I was a nerd. But did you know that I was this kind of nerd? <laughs> <laughs> Super grandfatherly As, magic, like in an anime. Right. You know? Right. And you were all both saying, like, well, obviously, I mean, can't you tell? He's right here. It's Stannis. And it's everyone's like, her? Him? <laughs> Eamon's sitting there like, like I can't see him. Her? I can't see it. <laughs> Well, Stannis, it turns out, wants to chat about how he got his nickname, Sam the Slayer, right? Sir Piggy. 
Stannis talks about how mm. Brandel's a great soldier, and you you don't really seem to be the same. I I am not the sort of son he wanted, sire. If you had not taken the black, you would make a useful hostage, Stannis mused. He has taken the black, sire. I am well aware of that, the king said. I'm aware of more than you know, Aemon Targaryen. Oh, whoa, he knows his last name. Stannis is all out here knowing bitches today. He's like, Jano Slint, Aemon Targaryen. So you admit it. You are Aemon Targaryen. And speaking of accents, I I feel like you've given like this gruff southern accent to Stannis. I've always... I guess he is southern. I've always read Stannis as very gruff. I just imagine. But Southern. <laughs> that that made that that's just by accident, I think. I don't know. I didn't intentionally <laughs> try to do that, but Is it by accident? Or maybe that's a, just like a very true, you know, very captured the essence you've got. I, I was going for vaguely British, but obviously that's not hitting the mark. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so I I really do think Sam wouldn't have made a very good hostage though. I think he you know, as he pointed out, you're real different. Randall didn't want you as a son. I legitimately think Randall would have been relieved if Sam were taken as a hostage. He'd be like, Ooh, what a great excuse for me. Also how but, he looks at people and he's like, damn, it's too bad you're here where you have like, you know, immunity because you would have made a great fucking hostage in the war. So weird. He just sees people as numbers. That's all they are. Does he, does he say this after Sam says that he was not the son that Randall yeah. wanted to be? It's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, he probably wouldn't make a good, he wouldn't make a good hostage there, uh, Stannis. Yeah, I mean, I guess he's, he, maybe he has a point, he's like, maybe Randall Charlie with his, like, toxic masculinity, right, would have been like, I gotta, you know, pull a Tywin and be like, I gotta save my honor, get my son back. But I'm also just like, I don't know, I, I legitimately think Randall would have been like, what a great out. You know, there's also another interesting side to that, where when you think about what's about to emerge in the themes of the book of Aegon. Targaryen, though, not necessarily a hostage, but taken in the middle of a siege, right, quote-unquote, and then raised, quote-unquote raised, raised by a bunch of people into being king. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of that of different lords popping up, right, of lords being taken or held hostage or killed and other people propping up lords in their place. We're already seeing a little bit of that with some of the puppet children through the books, right? Um, Mm -hmm. so I mean, Sam would be a great hostage in that, that he's the firstborn son of House Tarly. And if someone got their hands on him that had more power than Randall, that's fine. That would take a spot for them. That would make a good lord under him. Are you implying that Euron might? I don't think Euron cares. No, I wasn't. You were, though, apparently. I didn't know. I didn't know I was making you. (laughs) Well, I was also thinking Sam's got to take himself hostage. Oh my god. And be his own. Use his own bargaining. (sighs) You know, I was also just thinking about when when Stannis dropped Aemon Targaryen, you know, that wouldn't it, wouldn't it, uh, I was just thinking Aemon or Aemon is such a, like, the nomenclature is so Targaryen-esque in its history. It's like, I, I feel like if you were, like, Stannis knowing his history, but, like, I just feel like if you were one of the lords that read a lot, and knew all the Targaryen names that I think you'd be able to piece it together that he was a Targaryen. Yeah. I don't know if you guys agree with me. It's kind of like if you were... It's common, um, common yeah, knowledge. 
you know, like if you were 16th century France and someone was named Louis, like you're, you're probably going to be related to the noble family or something, you know, the yeah. or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. But there's also, that's interesting though, because when you connect it that way, he's treating both Sam and Eamon the same way, although their pasts have been deleted, belated, uh, you know, control, alt, delete, get that cleared. He's gotten their pasts off the record, but yet here he is pulling looking at them only as their worth in Westerosi society when they've been completely mm. removed from what, like neither of them are lords. Aemon's only Targaryen in name and deep in his heart and in the memories of the experiences he's had. You know, Sam... Isn't that what matters? Yeah, well, right. <laughs> but Sam wants nothing to do with being a Tarly, really, in the end, you know, except for being with his actual family, yeah. not his father. Uh, so the things that Stannis values, having the Baratheon name, you know... These men don't put that same value on that. Their lives are way different. Like he relies on having that name and that little drop of dragon blood for his claim and being Robert's successor. Uh, they don't rely on that anymore. They have a sustainable living. Ish. Minus, you know. Yeah. Amos, zombies. Amos protecting his new little brother, Sam. Oh my god. Kind of. Little egg. Oh, I didn't even think about it like that. But yeah, I guess Sam's his new little egg. And I mean, yeah, I feel like everyone in the Night's Watch probably knows Aemon is a Targaryen by this point. So it's like, wow, congrats. You knew what everyone else knew. I mean, as we as we see, John and Sam did not know that when they first entered the Night's Watch, but also they like just got there, right? No one's going to assume like, wow, holy shit, how are you still alive? We don't even get <laughs> Sam's reaction, actually, technically. Yeah, that's um, true. This is the first time it's actually mentioned in Sam's plot that Eamon's a Targaryen, so we just assume John told him, maybe? I'd guess it was John. I John... T- yeah, I bet John told everyone in the way that, like, again, <laughs> I think everyone that the Night's Watch kind of knows because one kid finds out and it's like, Everyone, everyone, gather round, right, at the lunch table. Yeah. Get a load of this. That old guy, that's Targaryen. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I, Aemon says he's not a Targaryen anymore. That he's just a one-name kind of guy now, like Prince or Madonna. <laughs> but we find out that's not true, actually. That's great. You know? Like, he's still a Targaryen. <laughs> yeah. Like, at yeah. heart. That's so great. Yeah. <sighs> it's, it, there, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of themes about family going on in this book series and who your family is Ugh. and what could it mean Stannis doesn't care <laughs> no Stannis is like I don't care about any of this let's talk about the obsidian dagger he just completely changes the subject and we have Melisandre going dragon glass the red woman's laugh was music frozen fire in the tongue of old Valyria small wonder it is anathema to these cold children of the other. I always have a trouble with that word. Yeah, it's anathema, but it's yeah, it, it is yeah. a weird one. It is a weird one. I kept I kept messing up typing it today. Every time I typed it, I was like, oh, I would just like split the A and the N. I'm a mess. Anna Delvey. Anna Anna Delvey. Uh, I don't I honestly don't know that I've ever read it in any other work of fiction, anathema. Uh, I find it a fascinating choice for a couple reasons, because in common use, it it just means someone who's detested or shunned or something that's detested or shunned. In an ecclesiastical sense, though, in New Testament usage, it means a formal excommunication. But in the Old Testament, it meant a creature or object set apart for sacrificial offering and removed from ordinary use, destined instead for destruction. 
So lots of ASWAF buzzwords, right, floating around in that sentence, honestly. Sacrifice and offering and removed from use and destruction. But Melisandre specifically using this in religious cadence, right, uh, uh, using this as a word that dragon glass was anathema to the children of the other. That's very interesting. What a religious, deeply religious word to use there for that. And, and I don't know, it also made me think about how like Shireen's an anathema then, right? She's anathema to, mm-hmm. to this situation as she'll be a creature or object set aside for sacrificial offering. Rip. Dragon glass herself, if you will. Yeah. You know? You will? I mean, I just don't know, you know, I don't know if her death is going to do anything. So that's why I'm also like, Ugh. And if you it's subscribe, if you subscribe to the show, show's uh, showing of how the others were created, which I did pre, actually pre that, I did believe the children, uh, the children of the forest were the creators of the others in a sense of like a Manhattan Project sense that they were looking to make a weapon of mass destruction to help themselves and it kind of backfired Oops. on them. Yeah, but in that case, the obsidian was used to sacrifice a human, uh, or a first man, into becoming another. Oh, anathema indeed, James. Huh. That's an interesting Hmm. thought. Yeah, Yeah. Dragonglass as, like, a savior, but also as an enslaver is very interesting. Hmm, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, speaking of dragonglass, there is a bunch of it on dragonstone, and they even come in different colors, like green, red, purple. Stannis is having his castlin. Sir Roland, mine as much as they can. And part of me wonders if the different colors, maybe do they do different things? I don't know. Uh, also, the dragonglass is in pre-made tunnels. Thinking face emoji. Hmm, how could those tunnels have been made? Do you think it was by dragons? Oh, I uh, thought we meant children. Oh, children. No, yeah, the children. The forest. <laughs> um, B- baby dragons. Let's just combine it. I love that we have, I mean, we have lots of obsidian right across across the globe right now with an eye on it. Not only Dragonstone, which props to Stannis for starting to mine that immediately. It will be much needed. Hope we can get our hands on it before he tears it up out there. You know, peace by Stannis. But also Skagos is known to trade with obsidian uh and that's very nearby so i'm hoping we we can get our hands on that cache through davos on skagos i i actually did think about that for the color magic kind of thing eliana like does is this real will it will it do special special abilities uh maybe that's just because i'm playing a lot of video games and i'm upgrading my weapons a lot in different games that could be it Uh, there's there's probably some geologist out there that's like putting up their glasses like oh you know the different pressures at this specific temperature will make the the green i don't and maybe i I, do you is it believed that the obsidian is just volcanic glass right right? or is it made from dragon fire i don't i'm thinking it's like volcanic via dragon fire right and it also kind of i mean i'm not somebody who goes far into understanding or thinking about the doom per se but i think Something about the Doom of Valyria feels, like, important here. So we do, like, have them found in a lot of areas in which there are volcanoes, so that's, I mean, maybe they are made in the way that they are in real life, but I do remember long, long ago, long, long, long ago, 
over on the Aswaf Reddit forum. If I'm remembering this theory correctly, because again, it was long ago, and the others take ya, user the others take ya, God bless them wherever they are, I miss you, um, said that obsidian might be dragon poop. Oh my god. Oh my god. I'm in. There was like, and, and like, <laughs> they wrote a long, very long, like, treatise about it. And in many ways, it's like convincing, but like, they wrote a long thing. So, anyway. <sighs> Magical. That's the true magic of Dragonglass right there. I will say, I think we'll see special colored weaponry during the long night. I think that with that in mind, we'll probably see people get some beautiful colored weaponry. Hey, maybe we'll get some like sapphire blue for Brienne cooking, right? That could be cool. Accessories. (laughs) It does make me wonder too, that link between spells used to make Valyrian steel, right? Uh, If you remember that, I believe Tobo Mott, when he made Forge the Swords, right? He tried to forge in color and fold in color. So the two swords split, ice split into the two swords, has the weird black and red kind of uh, folded into it. Because, of course, you know, Tywin wishes he was a a Targaryen, obviously. So the black and red being folded into it and how it didn't quite take, right? The the spells, it just didn't quite take. It it makes me wonder if there's any link between Dragonglass and Valyrian Steel in that. Could have got a nice Mm -hmm. green sword for Renly. Oh, wait. Never mind. Oh, rip. Rip. (laughs) Rip. Would have had to live for that one. (laughs) Don't we all? So another thing that's interesting is Stannis says that he's like set this in motion because he doesn't think he's going to hold Dragonstone for much longer. So I I just that he calls that out means that he, as we all know, he is a smart military leader and likely knew that leaving his seat vulnerable for that long was a big risk. Uh, I kind of forgot that he had called that out. And I mean, it makes sense, right? After seeing what happened at Winterfell, being like, well, shit. He left like a skeleton crew there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So I imagine he must have known that it was donezo at some point relatively soon, mm-hmm. which of course we'll see. It gets donezoed. Um, that's my that's my guess is he, he knew he knew when he when he answered the call, the valiant call that he answered to me, that's his his most triumphant moment um, that he was going to lose his seat. He'd probably lose it yeah. if he stayed, too. So true. that's true as well. Well, but, I think that's the bigger thing. Do, damned if you yeah, do, if you It's a suicide mission, you know, one way or another. You can either die in Dragonstone in the hovel that Robert gave you, you know, like his least favorite place, or he can go try he can try true maybe, maybe i overplayed the valiantness <laughs> well i, I don't <laughs> think it, it that was yeah, i still think that's valiant i mean like choosing to actually uh, men's lives have meaning not their deaths right so he could choose to stay in dragonstone and die all wrapped up in his walls mopey looking out the window thinking about proud wing you know borbs uh, or he could choose to do something and make something of himself. So I think it is valiant, James. Grant- Don't be so hard on yourself. Granted, we do got to give props to Davos because he was the one that convinced him to go up there in the first place. True, true, true. He is the backbone of that arc. Woo. He is. Much love. Well, Sam explains that the dagger unfortunately shattered when he tried to stab a white. Turns out. These weapons don't work the same against all of them. And Mel then says of 
the whites that steel and fire will work as it's just necromancy, but... And then she says, the ones you call the others are something more. Then they interrogate him about the Black Gate at the Night Fort, which is apparently where Stannis wants to post up. He also wants to see the gate. You know, like James and I said earlier on, this seems fine. This seems like a great place to make your seat <laughs> yeah. with your children, your child, Celise. No subtle foreshadowing here of the horrible things happening yeah. there, glossing over that. Very normal. <laughs> yeah. Nothing bad. And that's that's sort of the, like I said before, that's sort of the reason why I think the bad thing will happen there, potentially. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And as they're leaving, Eamon finally is like, can I have a sword demonstration? Sam can be my eyes. Stannis says, all right, sure, why not? And he takes it out, whips it out. It's very impressive. Sam explains it, and he's like, man, Eamon, I wish you could see this. And Eamon uses his imagination. He thanks the king and leaves as Stannis again insists that there will be a Lord Commander. I will make you guys choose. But after he's left, Eamon kind of points out something that he noticed about the sword to Sam. I felt no heat. Did you, Sam? Heat? From the sword, he thought back. The air around it was shimmering, the way it does above a hot brazier. Yet you felt no heat, did you? And the scabbard that held the sword. It is wooden leather, yes. I heard the sound when his grace drew out the blade. Was the leather scorched, Sam? Did the wood seem burnt or blackened? No, not that I could see. Maester Eamon nodded. Back in his own chambers, he asked Sam to set a fire and help him to his chair beside the hearth. <sighs> it is hard to be so old. He sighed as he settled onto the cushion. And harder still to be so blind. I miss the sun and books. <sighs> I miss books most of all. <laughs> I don't want to get that old ever. Just put me out of my misery. Buy him an audible. <sighs> Buy him an audible. Uh, uh, one thing I gotta say about Eamon, it's like, he has like a near perfect Q rating. Like, no one no one dislikes Eamon. I, I, no one can say anything bad about That's Eamon. That's so true. <laughs> Absolutely. Never heard anyone say a bad word about him. That's true. Be careful. Next thing you know, George is gonna be like, what if we complicated Eamon's history a little? God damn it, James. <laughs> uh, I guess I put it out there, huh? Yes, this is all yeah, on you. Yeah, you put that energy out into the universe. Uh, the the Eamon telling Sam, you know, we didn't feel anything, right? And did you observe the leather? Is it scorched or not? Uh, all, all these little lessons on observation remind me a bit of Arya getting those sort of like seeing lessons from the House of Black and White, but also from uh, um, Sirio Pharrell being like, I saw the cat. The cat was the wrong cat or whatever. Oh, Yeah. I forgot the exact story that he tells Arya about. That's interesting. Yeah. And her having to then learn through the eyes of cats on top of that, for sure. That's mm -hmm. Those are great connections because he totally knew, right? Even the way he addresses Mel when Mel leaves with Stannis because he says, a sword full of sunlight, so lovely to behold. Your grace, my lady, this was most kind of you. And he's like implicating her in the performance that he just saw quote unquote, hmm. right? Like it's not just Stannis who was performing. He knows Melisandre was also performing. But I also like that this isn't really new because we already knew that the sword had no heat from Davos, right? When Davos said in his mind, in his POV, as George said, I should say, when Stannis touched it to Davos's shoulder, it felt no different than any other longsword. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm like Davos is like it's just average, dude. It's like a this is average, like four, like average sword. four and a little thick. Yeah, it, yeah. It's I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a D and D joke, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, Ooh. but it but uh, Aemon was pretty much like, bro, that's just a shitty light cantrip. You know, it's not a flame tongue weapon. Yes. Doesn't do an extra D8 of damage. Yes. Chill. <sighs> Absolutely. It actually is just a light cantrip. <sighs> Those were fun. And somehow he's I think I I think I made you I think I made you like deal with some dumbass shit where I was like, I'm gonna make this person glow. <laughs> That's my strategy. I do remember that. <laughs> I'm sorry, James. It worked well. <laughs> it actually did. You let me get away with that. Thank you. Eamon uh, says that he won't need Sam until the choosing and oh right because now Sam asks uh, Eamon is there anything that like you can do or like because Jano sounds heinous and Eamon says well he's a maester and it's improper to be biased so then Sam asks if he could do something and Eamon says back in a way that I assume is like way nicer then when an adult goes like, I don't know, can you? And they're like, can I do? And it's very annoying um, when you ask if you can do something. But I'm also just going to include the quotes because they're fun. All right. It's a fun series. We read it because you like the words. I'm not a maester. Could I do something? Eamon turned his blind white eyes towards Sam's face and smiled softly. Why? I don't know, Samwell. Could you? I could, Sam thought. I have to. He had to do it right away, too. If he hesitated, he was certain to lose his courage. I am a man of the night's watch, he reminded himself as he hurried across the yard. I am. I can do this. There had been a time when he had quaked and squeaked if Lord Warmont so much as looked at him. In fact, it was merely three chapters ago. But that was the old Sam, before the fist of the first men in Craster's keep, before the whites and cold hands and the other on his dead horse. He was braver now. Gilly made me braver, he'd told John. It was true. It had to be true. First off, I have to say, like, that quote from from uh, Eamon, why I don't know, Samuel, could you? For some reason, gives me goosebumps. Mm -hmm. But yeah, to me, uh, Eamon was, uh, he was masterful in this chapter, uh, flexing his knowledge of the prince that was promised. Because uh, like we know that Eamon is very smart, but we didn't know, like, how steeped in... Uh, that specific prophecy he was, his correct skepticism of Stannis as the prince that was promised to those that think that he is. He is not. Do not think that. And uh, convincing Stannis to show him Lightbringer and carefully not displaying that skepticism in front of Stannis and more importantly, Mel. And then, yeah, that that quote, you know, why I don't know, Sam, well, could you, is a lovely little uh, wink and nod to Sam, essentially nudging him towards the action that Sam is going to take and embracing his future. It's going to start now, essentially. A lot of it does start now, and this does change a lot of things at the Night's Watch, and I, I absolutely agree with everything that you've said. Eamon was masterful, and through, through what he did, models for Sam 
kind of what Sam is about to do in like the the rest of this chapter. By flexing his knowledge, Eamon shows that, oh yeah, he totally gets where you're coming from, Stannis, speaking the same language and finds a common ground for them to treat. But he's also holding back some of his cards, which is, again, exactly what Sam does to both Pike and Malister. He's like, yeah, totally, totally, of course, you'd be a great leader. Uh, But also, have you considered this? So... It's also just great mentorship on Eamon's part, right? So Sam's getting some mentors now, uh, not just that modeling, but also throwing Sam's question back to him because he lets Sam reason it out and decide for himself what the best course is, what he's capable of. And he gives Sam the space to step up to do his own politicking. And and that mentorship that Eamon starts to show Sam is, I think, part of why it hurts so much to lose him later. Also because, as you said, right, no no bad points. Everyone loves Eamon. Yeah, he's the, he's the perfect mentor. Nothing I can say is going to change that. George isn't going to put any wrinkles in. He's perfect, <laughs> never did nothing wrong. Nothing's going to come of that. There's something about this moment with the twinkle in his eye and him saying, I don't know, Sam, can you? Uh, this very sweet moment with him that makes you think, that, you know, he knew what the right answer, what Sam should do, and what Sam chooses to do is probably what Eamon intended, right? Eamon said, yes, John is much better, but you know what it also mirrors in Eamon's own life? It mirrors when Eamon made Egg king. Mm. When they came to Eamon and said, do you want the crown? And he said, no, it should go to Egg. And that's what this reminds me of, very much so. I'm realizing that what you just said there, right, that that mirroring of Eamon's own life and what he did, and Sam copying that, and you said something like Eamon intended for Sam to learn there. Mm -hmm. Did Eamon, I mean, he probably needed Sam's help getting into the room physically, but did he? Did he really? Like, did he ask Sam to be there because he's like... Someone's got to be there to go do fancy stuff soon. I think and having, stuff, having I mean Sam be his eyes is an important job deeper than, again, like we've been talking about some of the surface level look of like what Sam as his steward does. People look down on that. It's an incredibly powerful position, as we just saw right yeah. here. The, the power to make and break politicians, even in your smaller world. And I think that's, I think it's done for a reason. If Eamon knew that much, I mean... We see that as Eamon leaves with him and they go to Bravos, that his heart is not just solely with the Night's Watch still, it's with his family, and that he doesn't necessarily believe in what the values of the Watch have become, right? Yeah, and I, and I think that's a good call, now that I think about it, because, I mean, he could have had, you know, I'm sure Dennis Malister would have lended a hand if he really needed to go yeah. in there, if he needed one, or I forget the, the other sort of steward that works with Sam and Eamon, I, his name escapes me, but uh, he had other stewards that he could have had bring him in there, but obviously he sees something in Sam. Uh, he sees potential, great potential in him, so. He also kind of, like, is letting Sam live out the life he couldn't have, right? Like, we hear him tell, you know, say to John and Sam several different stories from his childhood and things that he had hopes and dreams for, right? Like, liking a young girl uh, before he committed fully in his time at the Citadel, and his family and all these regrets he has. And so we kind of get to see him almost clear the way for Sam to, to conquer some of these things in his own life so that Sam doesn't have those same regrets, right? Like Gilly uh, going to the Citadel, putting in the word for him to go to the Citadel. All of those things are things that Sam otherwise couldn't have. 
And it's funny because Sam recognizes it so much when it comes to John, right? He's like, John, don't you see you're the Lord Commander Steward because then you are in the room. You are being groomed to do the same task that you are in the room for. And he doesn't recognize that. Could Eamon also see very great potential in me? Because Sam doesn't see that in himself. Again, like that imposter syndrome cropping up. Yeah, I'm glad to get get Sam like understanding the power he has. I feel like he finally realizes, oh shit, in this chapter, I, I can affect some things. And he finds that he can affect some things because as you're talking about, right, in regards to family, Eamon ha- still very much feels a connection with his Targaryen family. Sam, as we see, doesn't feel as much connection with his Tarly family, but now the Night's Watch is his family, right? He thinks that Gilly makes him braver. In a way, Gilly's become part of his family and Sam has someone, many someones, to fight for. Mm-hmm. And that makes him braver. Absolutely. Because that's what it's about. Love, dude. That's what, like, it's all about. Man. Yeah. In life. Man. Man. Love. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sam has two tasks in front of him. And we're starting first with Cotter Pike, the scarier of the tasks. Sam gets him alone in the shield hall after begging the other three Eastwatch men and a red-headed dragonstone sergeant to leave. We get a description of Cotter Pike, not very handsome, lean, strong body, small close-set eyes, a broken nose, and a widow's peak like a spear, reminiscent of Oberyn, who seems to be a little important around this time in the book. He hides his pox scars within his thin, scraggly beard. Pike mocks Sam's name and accomplishments as he enters, and Sam deflects. So I thought there was a fun maybe play on words here where Pike says to Sam, like, are you sure you stabbed another and not some child's snow knight? And James, earlier you were talking about the creation of the others in the show. And I don't know that it's going to be exactly the same right in the books. Obviously, there's things that are likely similar, but I'm thinking here of like that child's snow knight. I mean, maybe, right? Children of the forest making soldiers that are icy but it also has me thinking a little bit of bran whose story has touched sam's and the bran of course is taking on more power in a dance of dragons he's a child who may be skin changing to use people as knights sash has kind of done so with hodor i don't know that like bran is going to continue doing that throughout his whole story without remorse um and might have a like come to azor high moment Mm. get it like you come to g okay i get it i actually i like i actually am thinking with that language of a child snow knight and stabbing a child snow knight stabbing Uh a snow knight a john snow knight a child he is kind of like a child knight so i was thinking of that too yeah i was just taking a stab at it you know oh no (laughs) i think both kind of could be Stabs in the dark. Get, get out. Oh my god, James. <laughs> god damn oh, it. Daggers in the dark. Daggers <laughs> in the dark. <sighs> when Cotter Pike asks if Eamon sent Sam, Sam doesn't say no. The maester, Sam swallowed. I, I just left him, my lord. That wasn't truly a lie, but if Pike chose to read it wrong, it might make him more inclined to listen. Sam took a deep breath and launched into his plea. Pike then cuts Sam off, assuming Sam wants him to bend to Malister. He, Pike thinks that Malister should withdraw. He is too old. He thinks he's going to die soon. And there's going to be a new choosing in about a year if that happens. And Sam 
kind of plays devil's advocate, right? He's like, well, Malister is experienced. And Pike retorts that, well, he's experienced at paperwork, not fighting, unlike the half-hand. And he says that the Watch needs a fighter, especially with Stannis here, because what else will a mouse want once he gets a cookie? And someone must say no to the milk. And Sam confirms Pike won't support Malister. Pike says, Understand this, boy. I don't want the bloody job and never did. It is, but I love it. I love it so much, James. <laughs> it had kind of like almost like a southern drawl to it there, just a little bit underneath. It was good. <sighs> that was good. Yeah. It, it was it was great, yeah. Yeah. Pike says that he would rather die than let Malister take this job that he wants nothing to do with. I just have to put that out as we talk about uh earlier, you know, the toxic stupidity of some of these men. Well, I, I would rather die, though, than give it to him. Uh, and he tells him to take that back to Aemon. And I love that these men are missing that, like, it's two halves of the whole. You need somebody that can attend the stewardship. You need someone like Sam or someone like Dennis Malister, who's good at some of those finite, small details, right? And then you also need men like Cotter Pike or like John, who are bigger bigger picture guys right that go in there bang some heads you you do need both of them you can't only have one you can't have one guy who's full offense you got to have a little defense and it's funny that these men are so against each other these men are brothers and they are so like obviously there's an election going on but they're very volatile to the other you can see this great divide between them and maybe it's because our boys in the watch maybe they're the exception to this rule Right, We see John, Sam, Pip, Gren, Ed, some of these guys from their generation in the Night's Watch all getting along and supporting one another and really going through the hardships together, working together. So some of these other brothers seem to have not really held those values in in that light or in the same way as these boys. Maybe they're young, maybe they're not quite as jaded. John will be jaded soon enough in The Winds of Winter when it comes out next week. But... (laughs) Maybe they're just not quite there yet, I guess. These guys be jaded. I feel like the Night's Watch needs a man like Pike. You know, he does what he's told. He's good in a fight. He's not scared of anything. He follows John's command to go to Hardhome. Uh, he's not insubordinate about it. Uh, I personally don't think he's Lord Commander material because, like uh, Malister will point out later, he can't read. And I, I just think that you're able to be duped in that sense then by a corrupt potentially maester at some point um that being said i do think pike has merit to being a leader a a part which he i mean he is obviously but i I personally do kind of believe malister is probably the better candidate of the two but that's that's just my opinion yeah i think they represent two very distinct sides you know, we, we talked a little bit about the brawn versus brain thing there, but also Pike is kind of coarse, right? Like, uh, look, I've watched Veep. I know what happens at the National Night's Watch convention, and I know that we're going to have some bribes back and forth here before we choose a Lord Commander, but you have, on the right, you have Pike. He's coarse. He has some kind of conservative, gruffer aspects to him. He's our Republican in this election. And then we get to Dennis, right? He's a rich leftist. He gives Yale maybe like a million dragons every year or some shit. Uh, Super blue, super blue. And they both also represent Randall Tarly in a way, 
the two sides of Randall where you have this like savage warrior man that's out there commanding armies. And then you also have this man who does have political savvy. He does have stewardship in running parts of the realm. Uh, you see him in Brienne's chapters. Yes, he's a total fucking prick, but he also is like, next, walk up to the line, get your shit, move over there. Next, you know, he's got people in and out. He's getting shit done. Uh, both of these men are like Sam fighting these sides of his father live. I will say, I, I do think that if you combine the two, you'd have a good candidate. Yeah. You oh, combine yeah. the, the, you'd be gangbusters. <laughs> I absolutely agree. Um, I, I think if you combine like the good parts of both, you know, you'd have a fantastic candidate. But I think you know what Pike Pike gets r- a lot of things wrong for the same reasons that you said. Uh, but also, I understand where he's coming from in that Malister also doesn't really get some things. Like Malister, I think doesn't understand that well yeah sure having that sort of political savvy um some of that training can be helpful but to base everything on that continues the whole and this is something that we discussed right back then like when we started the john chapters right it continues the whole thing that the night's watch is not about right aemon has impressed over and over again throughout this chapter that you come to the night's watch your past is erased right your past doesn't matter but dennis malister still like puts so much stock into that the way that waymar royce sort of did when he came into the night's watch and shows the sham of the meritocracy of it and also for dennis malister and and there's some other like parts against him too that I'll t- I'll talk about a little bit later but you know I, they neither you were talking earlier about like whether the brotherhood between them I think there's an aspect of aspect of them that is very much brotherly right they both kind of want what's best or what they think is best for the night's watch right and disagree about it they're both like i think i'd be the better one it's a little bit like how stannis feels about his brothers mm-hmm. right i think i'd be the better one i think i'd be the better king is there anything more brotherly than that when it comes to the baratheons and as as well as that like both of them say i would be the better candidate i didn't ask for it i'm not asking for it it's just my duty and it kind of reminds me then of stannis mm-hmm. again being like, I don't really want it, but it's just it's just my duty. This is just like what's best for everyone. And it's like so you want it? Yeah. That's just how I feel. Yeah, reluctant rulers always make the best rulers, I hear, right? The ones that don't want anything to do with it or their <sighs> people. That's usually Yeah. It's always good. I understand them not want no one wants to see be seen as greedy, yeah. right? in all of this not everyone can be jaharis and alisan i guess or septon barth i should say <laughs> sam I, I was kind of wondering throughout this chapter is sam the kind barth? of living a septon barth i think life? so i think he yeah. is our septon barth i really do and you know sam knows how to drop lines during this he he drops more bait ha, he drops bait to the pike he says what about someone else Pike then lists the candidates and their failures. He's like, no to Marsh. Othel is a follower. Slint is tempting because Stannis hates him, but two kings landing. Without Hob, who will cook? Speechless, Sam stammers thanks and hopes. And uh, he says, do better next time with Sir Dennis. So we move over to Sir Dennis, who is a knight, a highborn, well-spoken, courteous to Sam and Gilly. 
and Commander of the Shadow Tower, Super Malistery. Uh, James, you're, you're new to Girls Gone Canon podcast, hanging out. We think he's hot. You know, House Malister seems really hot. Sexy, right? Like the, the aquiline noses and the, the steely gray-blue eyes and the cheekbones and the gray hair, the silver hair, the, the eagle. Maybe it's like an America Freedom thing, but, you know, they've got it going on. And I think he probably does too. Dennis seems to have it going on. I can see it. I could see it. Maybe like a more scraggly George Clooney. Ooh, I could see that. Um, I also kind of see, did you watch Great British Bake Off at all? Uh, I can't say that I have. Okay, well, Great British Bake Off has this man, Paul Hollywood, on it. Gotta give him a Google. I always see him as a malister. Also, for Euphoria fans, I think that uh, this could be Cal Jacobs' brother from Euphoria. I don't know, something about the silver and the the gray. I, I just Googled Paul Hollywood, and I could see it. Yeah, yeah, very Paul Hollywood. Little, 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 little stronger looking than a scraggly. Yes, that. yes. There you go. If you mash the two up, I think we could get our perfect Malister. Interesting, yeah. but also bald, right? Isn't he bald? Yeah, so. this one's bald, but you know. Yeah. But yeah, I know what was there. I I think so. I think he has the. I, it sounds like the Malister look, right? Cat. Catelyn Stark wouldn't let that go about Jason Malister. And I'm not going to either. Sounds like they just had a hot family. Happy for them. Lucky. Lucky. Well, he calls Sam my lord of Tarly, which I think that's pretty incorrect based on everything that Maester Aemon told me this episode about people's past. And again, like what I was saying, of like, I don't know. I don't know if that's how it works. But... Dennis Malister is courteous. He speaks of Sam's mother being Florent, then flexes about unhorsing Sam's grandfather as an attorney. He also assumes that Sam comes from Eamon, and Sam again sidesteps. Sam took a sip of wine and chose his words with care. A maester, chained and sworn, it would not be proper for him to be seen as having influenced the choice of the Lord Commander. <laughs> Dennis compares his and Eamon's age and wisdom. <laughs> And I'm <laughs> like, interesting. <laughs> he agrees that kings oughtn't name Lord Commanders, especially this one, who is definitely going to lose, he thinks. But he definitely thinks that also Pike should withdraw and that he is better suited. And Sam says, yeah, but like, Pike is the better fighter. And Dennis is like, sure, but fighting isn't everything. That a Lord Commander should be a lord of noble birth. And then proceeds to share his own pedigree. And then he mocks Pike's rudeness to Stannis and shows some xenophobia towards his, the Ironborn, saying that Pike was raping and murdering when he was still half a boy. And then he critiques Pike for being illiterate, and Sam again brings a question like, alright, alright, so would Dennis support someone else suitable? And again, Dennis also says, he doesn't want it. He doesn't want it, Daddy. <laughs> and I'm trying to channel my inner Chloe here also. <laughs> I have never desired the honor for its own sake. At the last choosing, I stepped aside gratefully when Lord Mormont's name was offered just as I had for Lord Corgyle at the choosing before that. You know who I heard in that voice? Poseidon from Oh Hood my god, Hades. thank you. Wow. Yeah, I, I I think you did that excellently, and if I did it, I'd probably sound Southern. 
I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, I'm going it's just for like British. When you emphasize things, like it's not bad. Comes through like that. I don't know why. Yeah, it's just fascinating. I think it's a good choice. Like as our friend Maester Mary, she takes a southern southern accent for the Florence, right? Yeah, for the Florence, and she does for the uh, the Manderleys as well. Ah, uh, for yeah, us, that makes for sense. our North Remembers speech during Davos, she did uh Winifred, and she chose to do Winifred Manderley as a southern woman, if I recall. It might have been Leonette Fossaway. I can't well, remember. I don't remember anymore either. My Damn, I, I'm an unreliable narrator. <laughs> and Dennis echoes Pike that, well, Marsh and Yarwick aren't really like equal to the task, and also Jano sucks. <laughs> so Sam starts suggesting someone else, trusted by Mormont, Donald Noy, and Corin Halfhand. Highborn ish, old blood, well trained, literate, and a good fighter. Dennis is like, Maybe he's young. He's not as good as me, but maybe. Yeah, you know, I was gonna go to bat for Dennis here, but you kind of you kind of swayed me with his views on putting so much stock on nobility and blood. I, I do think that that is a problem in the Night's yeah. Watch. It it should really be a true meritocracy, and yeah, you you kind of swayed me on that. I like, I think. Pike would be more apt to promote those that aren't deserved it as opposed to, mm-hmm. you know, making someone a first ranger because, oh, you come from a noble yeah. house. So uh, you kind of swayed me with that. That being said, I still don't think Pike would have been great either. But <laughs> Yeah, they're both especially <laughs> unqualified in their own special unique way. <laughs> um, so, yeah, along with that, you know, the xenophobia i'm also just like how are you going to lead all these people if you like hate a bunch of them yeah <laughs> which i mean so does so does cotter pike like i know that like the ironborn also don't necessarily like the mousers but he doesn't ever say anything like about specifically them in the same way mouser does about like all the ironborn as a people and it's just like bruh <laughs> yeah equally you have to lead them equally that and then the free folk too actually it kind of makes sense now why these men were sent off to their castles. You know what I mean? Like, okay, well, how about you just go lead over here yeah. and we forget about you? Bye. This guy's annoying. <laughs> they're, they're kind of like when James said, Stannis was a good admiral and maybe should be, like, mm-hmm. cap there. That's how we feel about, like, Cotter Pike and Dennis Malister. You're good at, like, this job and maybe that's where your career ends. Yeah. Okay, I'm doing this for you, Eliana. Thank you. Sam remembers. John said, There could be honor in a lie if it were told for the right reason. That was a lot of work. So That's Sam lies. <laughs> Flip from Thank Sam so to John for you. <laughs> so Sam lies. Stannis will name Cotter Pike if they don't decide by tonight. Then Sam leaves Dennis thinking and wonders what he's done and then realizes if they caught him in his lie, they would what? Send me to the wall? Rip my entrails out? Turn me into a white? Suddenly it all seemed absurd. How could he be so frightened of Cotter Pike and Sir Dennis Malister when he had seen a raven eating Small Paul's face? Yeah, and it was at that moment he embraced <laughs> his his inner YOLO. He, he, he knew at that point, it's like, why does this even matter anymore? Like, why, you know, like, why am I so scared? Right? Because he's seen some shit. Exactly, exactly. More shit than Mm-mm. these two. 
They stayed in their little castles where they were exiled to. Anathema. I mean, they have they have jobs. They have mm. jobs. <laughs> they were doing kind those of. jobs. And <laughs> but I, I agree. This is this is a turning point for Sam. He's like, what what can they even do? He's seen the worst, and I what I like about this is it shows this great growth in him. Right? He failed persuading Cotter Pike the first time. Learned, oh, well, the world didn't end just because I put myself out there and, like, it didn't turn out the way I had hoped. And so he gives it another go, this time with Dennis Malister, using the lessons of what he got wrong with Pike. And then he's like, you know, fuck it, fuck it. Failures, whatever, and returns for Pike. Again, implementing those new lessons. And I, I think learning to deal with failure is really important for development, not just, like, character development. I, I do mean character development, but, like, in real life, development of our person, peoples. Yeah. And, and like you said, he takes all that back and he's like, would you withdraw for someone who is a fighter, who defended the wall, squired for Mormont, also a bastard? Pike is super fond of the idea. He's like, ooh, Malister would hate this. Yes. And he's like, I mean, I'd be better. <laughs> I'd be better, but whatever. And Sam lies again and he's like, well, listen, if we don't choose tonight, if no one's decided, Stannis is gonna choose Dennis. Sam in this in this chapter, it was a masterclass, this whole interaction between the two Malister and Pike. And it just shows how, you know, his great character growth. Because I mean, could you have imagined him doing this mm. at the beginning of this book? Before well, I guess this book started with this, but yeah, he this this wouldn't have happened. And I just think that it's you know, he had it he had the courage in him all mm-hmm. along. But, you know, the, his experiences brought it out in him. And, you know, he's doing the things necessary for what's best for the Night's Watch. And it was a delight to reread this chapter. I loved it. And his politicking and his intelligence and bravery are a sign of things to come uh, for Sam and Feast and, and beyond. And I'm here for it. Like with the whole Amon giving the nod and the wink and him saying that gives me chills. It was the same for mm-hmm. that last, the last lines of this chapter was very, I don't know what it, I love, I love the way that George ends chapters sometimes where it's like, it doesn't end like, I don't know, the word is perfectly, but it, he, the way he ends it has kind of like that epic, chilling feel sometimes. And that's how this one ended. And yeah, that, that was great. I didn't even pick up on that at first when I was thinking about it. Him knowing what to say to Pike to get him on his side. The whole bastard thing. <sighs> you know, Dennis Mouser, he would hate a, a bastard being in charge of the Lord, you know, being Lord Commander. That's, I think that's awesome. I love Sam. I like the way you've put that because it reminds me a bit of John and Mance when John has to kind of convince him to accept him as as a night as oh, yeah. a free folk, and you know he says, "Do you rem- do you remember the feast where they put the bastard?" Uh, leveraging that status and leveraging that class status to be like, "Oh yes, of course you have issues, John Snow. Come aboard." And Sam here leverages it in both of those ways. A great opposite look at the beginning of the chapter where you see Janos fail at politicking, right? Janos absolutely fails at understanding the politician that he's working for here. And, you know, Sam embodies, in the last few chapters alone, Sam has more than bodied when can a man be brave? You know, the the entire thesis of... Well, only when a man's afraid can he be brave. Sam's been afraid. He doesn't have to be afraid of this. 
Uh, what's the worst that happens? He gets elected and gets stabbed? No, that's not going to happen to him. If Sam's showing us right now in his very first real scheme with a little bit of confidence from Eamon and nudging, and like James said, a little bit of that YOLO energy going on, the Citadel is going to be insanely fun to watch. Uh, Sam is going to be able to hold his own before all the chaos breaks loose in the Reach for sure. So that's actually why Euron's chaos in the Reach works so well for Sam being trapped there, I think, right? Because it's Mm. a whole new form of chaos to deal with. He's already dealt with all this bullcrap. And, you know, the other thing that sticks out is his bravery for Gilly, right? And now that he's falling for Gilly and falling in love with her and wanting to take care of her, love, as we see in this chapter and many of the other chapters in the story, that... My God, that's the greatest magic of all, man. Wow. Right? Love is the magic. Oh, wow. Where it, it's true. He's embracing this inspiration Gilly has given him, right? It, it's a powerful magic, and it's one that they try to actually stamp out of Knights of Orders, right? Uh, Maesters of the Citadel, the Night's Watchmen, removing, isolating you, taking out your heart, saying, you know, these are your loyalties now. This is what you do to serve the realm, uh, love is like the craziest and the wildest of all wild cards, right? It's won wars, it's lost them, it's brought powerful, crazy motherfuckers to their knees. If Sam's in love and he feels confident right now, that dude's gonna be able to do whatever he wants. Amazing. And like, in that same very positive note, I do want to flip it and say, let's check in on Johnny Boy, because while this is positive, Sam's sudden political machinations and success before John gets elected even he has a lot on his plate right now, right? Last chapter, Stannis was like, yo, you want Winterfell and Val? Uh, and he thinks in the very next chapter following this, in John's next chapter, he thinks, Egret wanted me to be a wildling. Stannis wants me to be Lord of Winterfell. What do I want? Well, John doesn't really get a chance at that, right? Uh, Sam kind of chose it for him from Maester Aemon's push. And I think there's something so interesting of choice in the series, choosing and choice, no chance, no choice, uh, the choosing. Of course, you have that line in A Game of Thrones with Catelyn when Eddard leaves and she thinks that's him making his choice. I think there's just so many powerful iterations of how George wants to play with choosing and choice. And here, in A Storm of Swords, the election is referred to constantly as a choosing. And it does make me think back to A Game of Thrones 8 for John with Aemon. The old man laid a withered, spotted hand on his shoulder. It hurts, boy. Oh, yes. Choosing. It has always hurt and always will. I know. John's had his choice taken out in most of these matters for himself, right? Uh, From birth, he didn't get a choice on his family or how he was raised or brought up, whether it was in the way his parents really wanted it or not. Uh, And in crowning him right here, in Sam crowning him in this chapter and the next, it kills him. To crown him is to kill him. To give him the Lord Commander job does bring him to his fucking imminent death. Uh, And and in a way, bad show aside, if Sam has something to do with crowning or revealing John's true heritage and maybe in that same way, pressing him to unfortunately make a claim on the throne whether or not he wants it, it's probably to crown him is to kill him again. Shit, it's it's super fitting. This probably isn't the last election we're going to see Sam accidentally rig for John. Right? Maybe something Sam says accidentally will put his hat in the ring for the throne. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, when all those other men were like, I, I don't really want it. John's like, 
I really don't want it. That's why I didn't enter the running. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, everything that you've said here, absolutely. I, I love the way that you've drawn together all of those themes about choice, right, and choosing. Because I do think of that aim in line when they talk about this choosing. I'm like, what an interesting name for your election based on the themes of this book series. <laughs> so. Yeah. And again, egg. You know, I think Aegon the Unlikely, John is Aegon the Unlikely himself in many aspects, whether or not that's his name. You know, Aegon the Unlikely himself, and he is an unlikely Lord Commander. The youngest to to captain the Quidditch team in how long? Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) I also find it, uh, I find it ironic that he was going to choose to decline Stannis. Yeah. And he was afraid of the, the ramifications of that. But he ended up getting lucky and Sam rigging the election. And so it's interesting to see what would have happened if, what would have happened yeah. if with Stannis had he gone through with that. And it's a loophole, right? That he gets yeah. out on a technicality. He doesn't have to turn down Stannis necessarily, right? Because he gets out because he's fucked and he's the Lord Commander instead. It's a total loophole, which is a very Jon Snow thing and probably something to pay attention to, right? He might have other loopholes to get out of things in the future. Yeah. And if if the timing wasn't right and he had declined Stannis before he was elected, who knows, Stannis might not have listened to him about going to the Night Fort. Maybe he would have just taken shit by force. Yeah. Um, I guess it's an interesting what if. Everything going according to Keikaku. Oh my god. <laughs> Speaking of Keikaku, um, and and you're talking a little bit about Sam's future and what's going to happen to him going to the Citadel. A lot of the way that he has interfered with the election here, and the way that like I mean, Eamon didn't directly, but there's a there is an aspect in which Eamon has kind of helped tip the scales by empowering Sam to. To go do some politicking and to use Eamon's name, right, in a way. I, I mean, I don't know how Eamon would feel about that. I think Eamon would be like, good job. Good for you, kid. But <laughs> uh, in an earlier chapter in which Sam asks if, if lying's okay to John, John's like, I don't know if you'd be great at lying, maybe on paper. Here we have seen that, again, Sam, multi-talented boy, great at lying on paper, great at lying to your face. And... I think back to Barbary Dustin's speech of being like, I don't really know what those maesters are about. So we're seeing Sam kind of starting to follow that path, right? Like, just because he's a maester, maybe eventually, right? Or, or a brother of the Night's Watch. That doesn't mean that he's not going to have his sympathies. And that doesn't mean he's going to press... That doesn't mean he isn't going to put his finger on the scales when it comes to the politicking in Westeros, especially if he's in such a central place to some of where that information comes from, like the Citadel. Yeah. Another interesting thought I just had was, obviously when Eamon nudged Sam to, hey, go do what you got to do, he didn't give explicit, you know, he didn't get, I don't remember if this is talked about later, like I said, it's been a while since I read the books. But he didn't, you know, specifically nudge Sam to choose John as the alternative. So I wonder if, I don't know, if Eamon had some sort of inkling. I mean, I guess because, you know, obviously Sam and John are close. Yeah. And 
and that would maybe naturally be the way to do it. But he he did put a lot of faith in Sam to do this, to get things done, because he didn't really give very explicit information. He didn't even tell him, hey, divert it to someone else. It was That was all Sam's volition and doing. So. You know, all jokes aside, like, there is the, the Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. It reminds me of Dumbledore in that fucking aspect of the Time Turners, that, like, he doesn't tell... Hermione and Ron and the Prisoner of Azkaban, what the fuck to do to save the day? Just, I give you permission to go do it. You'll figure it out. Wink, wink. And uh, it does remind me in a way of something like that, that like, Eamon knew that he could trust Sam to choose the right thing and do the right thing. I think. I think he knew that whatever Sam came up with would probably be better than what they were facing. And I think he knew that it would be John. (laughs) Yeah, I, I think did, so too. Yeah. Now that we're thinking, he's a about very it. astute yeah. man, that Eamon. Very good at seeing into people's hearts, somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody loves him. Never did nothing wrong. Perfect. The only perfect thing guys. he did wrong was dying. Okay. Well, <laughs> comes for us all, Eliana. Comes for us all. I believe he made it to 102. I imagine. I think he should have tried. Said, he should have tried like harder. Oh my god! Like I said, I do not want to live that long. Please put me out of my misery. If you guys are still listening to us then at that time when the winds of winter finally comes out when i'm 101 in oh god what 80 years i'm 21 now um my god put me out of my misery i i imagine the percentage of people that made it to 102 in a pre like antibiotic world is probably pretty low yeah so he did yeah. well it's interesting he had a stressful life so it's interesting that he made it that far it's that Targaryen magic, man, you know? The magic of love, perhaps, even, that you're talking about. The love of his brothers at the Night's Watch. Uh, he had to watch them all die from afar, Eliana. No, not Maybe those it's... brothers, his new family. <laughs> Maybe it's actually, God. like, the magic of pain, you know? Wow. Pain. Pain preserves. And with that, <laughs> this has been a blast to record this episode with you, James. Thank you so much for coming. Do you have any closing thoughts on Sam? Uh, on his plot throughout A Storm of Swords, or today in the fifth chapter? First off, I really enjoyed this. It's been great getting back into the books. It's been a long time. And yeah, you know, I, I read, in preparation, I did read all of Sam's chapters. And it, it it is actually kind of a little abrupt how quickly he sort of, because like, I didn't, I didn't remember in my head. I was like, oh, this was like, I thought this was like Game of Thrones- a Clash of Kings, Sam. I thought that was already over in a Clash of Kings, but uh, no, he gets there and he's going to soar and he's going to be awesome. And I just think he's a great character and I'm glad that you brought me onto one of his chapters. Well, thank you. Thank you for agreeing. Thank you for coming out of retirement for one last job. Uh, <laughs> hopefully you don't die. And when you, yeah, when you first reached out, I, I did the, um, the Murtaugh. well you're not 102 okay so buckle up not everyone can be 21 like i am (laughs) well thank you again james for joining us and could you remind everyone where they can find you you could check out the hypes watch youtube channel we in the past the long the long past uh we did a bunch of rereads and and other random videos and also, I actually, no, I just thought about it. I actually have a YouTube channel myself <laughs> uh, that I actually did quite a few videos on. It's just my name, James Bushel. And you can find me on 
Twitter at jbush, that's B-U-S-C-H 55. And uh, yeah, that's that's about it, really. Go check him out on Twitter and on YouTube and at that joint channel. Um, I joined for, I don't think you were on that one. I joined for one of the Cersei chapters where she treats with the High Sparrow for those rereads. And I don't think you were there for the West. I don't know if we did any of those <laughs> joint videos together. Yeah, there was like, what, nine yeah. of us? So someone, you know, some of us had to sit out on some of them or be too much of yeah. a cluster. Yeah. Well, they're fun roundtables. If if you yeah. have time, go check out some of those great roundtable discussions over at the Hype's Watch. It's got to be fun to reminisce to and see, you know, what the talk was then compared to what everyone's talking about now. Those were- I- I'm sure that I was, I was like, Ride or die, Stannis, going hard in the paint. I'm sure. Wow. So character development in the yeah. flesh. In the character flesh. development's important. Hey, you know what? I think, and, and I mean, back me up on this, but I think Stannis is a spectrum. Okay, everybody is on the spectrum of Stannis. Whether it's you know you like him a little, whether it's you hate his guts, whether it's somewhere we all are still on Stannis. Right? Isn't that the case Everyone's for like all there. the characters? I guess except for Aemon. Song of Ice and Fire is a spectrum. Okay. It's a spectrum. Well, I mean, there's, you know, there's there's some characters you're indifferent to, and he is not usually one that is people are indifferent to. There you yeah. go. There's usually an opinion. That's true. That's true. Who am I indifferent to? I have to think that. I feel like that's even harder. Where's Micah with his minor characters? <laughs> that one steward I was mm. asking yeah, about. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, perhaps you feel strongly about us. What? Hopefully positively, because you're here at the end of this episode. If you would like more Girls Gone Canon, you can find us on social media at Girls Gone Canon, C-A-N-O-N, on Twitter. That's the only social media we're on. I don't know why I said social media at large. Or you can find us and shoot us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Yeah, and if you have not already, take a second and subscribe to us, follow us, rate us on the nearest podcast platform that you listen to us on. We are on a bunch. We are hosted at Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, uh, Amazon Podcasts, Pandora, you name it. We're at many, 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 many platforms. Find us there. Yes. And of course, you can always find us on Patreon. Patrons in the $5 or Stranger Tier and above get bonus episodes every month. Last month was the Cersei POV, but not that Cersei, Cersei C-I-R-C-E by madeline miller and this month's is a you know it's 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 a mystery even to us tba to be announced and hey if you want to join up in the thunder tier and above that's the ten dollar tier and above you do get access to our private discord server where we have a monthly brunch slash happy hour event every month we hang out do some games get to know you etc and also weekly events for a rewatch of his dark materials and more events to come, I'm hearing. More events to come. Yes. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. Thank you again to our other host this episode. James. Thanks, James. James. <laughs> like a Pokemon, like you're saying your own name. James. James. <laughs> Thank you, James. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for joining We'll be back with Feast next week. Yes. Oh, shit. Okay. A Feast for Clothes. Oh. <laughs> feast for Chloe. <laughs> uh, remember when we had that feast? RIP. Anyway. All right.